get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. says Tyler O'Neill's hamstring has not progressed enough for Tyler to be in the mix for the wild card roster. Alexa, as for Jordan Hicks, still up in the air. Ali told me they're not sure if he'll see game action tomorrow or if he'll see live BP, but they remain hopeful he can be on the wild card roster, but it's wait and see. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Jim Hayes before the game yesterday. If you guys want to see uh, just a glorious photograph. Oh, hey, I caution yourself. This is NSFW, so don't open this up when you're around other people um, or children. I am basically serving every punishment that we've come up with so far today. Oh, oh God. I am uh, wearing a princess dress. And a low-cut princess dress to be exact. Wearing fuzzy handcuffs. They're red. You want to leave a little to the imagination? I'll allow that. And later today, I will be shot with a paintball gun, not once, but twice, in the booty. You, so, know, that, you know that moment when you get off, like, like you're in Disney World, and you ride the teacups, and they spin in circles, and you get off, and you're like, I think I'm going to vomit. <laughs> I felt, I feel that way. I'm there. Like, just, I'm there. Yeah, like, looking at you, I feel that way. I can't even look at him But seriously. it was a great decision on our part to use this as a punishment yeah. because the yeah. amount of people that have walked by. I wonder and if my stopped. parents are proud of me today. <laughs> oh, for sure. Like, I just texted it to my wife and she responded with wolf. <laughs> this might have been the best punishment we've ever come up with. And I say that with the knowledge of us doing the handcuffs. She just said wolf. That's it. She just said wolf. Four, okay. four letters. She's probably impressed. She didn't I, want to say anything more to make you feel jealous. That, that's all it is. I don't think that's the definition of wolf. No, I, I think that's what it was. Somebody said, does BK look cute? You better believe you. You bet your ass I look cute today. Sing it, buddy. Mike Red is proud. He's Mike never Mike, been more proud. Mike, this is what you get from hey, 11 to you 2. You said you wanted personality on the radio. We I guess we found it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should reel it in just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Hey, the good news is I think a lot of the princess stuff is done after this. All right. Coming oh, up God. in 15 minutes. Serious stuff here, man. We're talking about Jake Neighbors. Is he the prince? Oh, jeez. That the Blues need this year. I thought you were Talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. 
Speaking of princesses, Tyler O'Neill, is he going to be missing oh. the playoff oh. round oh. for the Cardinals? Whoa. Doesn't sound good, guys. Doesn't doesn't sound encouraging for him. If you saw it before the game yesterday, Jim Hayes tweeted out that the expectation is the Cardinals are going to be without Tyler O'Neill in the wild card round. Alex, what does this mean for the Cardinals? Uh, it means that they are going to have to... And this sounds so mean, but they're going to have to to scrape the bottom of the barrel in terms of offense from their outfielders. You're going to have to get the whoever you're going to be going with, whether it is Corey Dickerson or Lars Newtbar or Juan Yepes. Honestly, I'm to the point now where I've convinced myself Juan Yepes should just be the everyday left fielder for this team uh, because of his bat. But if you're not getting Tyler O'Neill back in the postseason, then you have one guy that you were banking on to be that everyday player for you. And it was Dylan Carlson. And if you don't get contributions from the other pieces, I know our whole, our whole talk is however far Goldschmidt and Arenado go, the Cardinals will go, but you're going to have to get some contributions from those two corner outfield spots. And if it's not Tyler O'Neill, somebody's going to have to step up in a big way. Yeah, I'm with you there. Now you don't have that everyday outfield option, and that's what makes this tough. And now it is going to be that mix and match, and it's going to be difficult for them because, honestly, I don't know if they can find a perfect solution for their outfield even while trying to mix and match because everybody's kind of gone cold at the same time. Dickerson's been cold. Newtbar's been better of late. You're seeing better signs from him. Yepes has been okay since he got called up. Burleson still looks kind of overmatched in my opinion. So, the outfield's going to be a difficult spot for them to try and figure out this postseason. And I think they were really hoping to have a everyday outfield once O'Neill came back. And I, I think the hope was going to be it was going to be O'Neill, Carlson, and then I think they would have stuck with Newt Barr and right, lefty or righty. I think they would have done that for the defensive purposes. That way they had a solid outfield that was good with the defense, and then you had the hopefully Carlson and O'Neill could carry the offensive load for that. And now that he's out, it just makes it very difficult for them to try and come up with something in the outfield for that lineup construction. Can I have an unpopular opinion here? <laughs> you can put Gorman on the roster and I mean, put him could, in the outfield. You could do with whatever you want today, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> what if the Cardinals are better offensively with Juan Yepes than they would have been with Tyler O'Neill? Are we sure that's not the case? No. Because Juan Yepes this month is batting 282 and he has an OPS of 753. He's got some power. We've seen that. He has three doubles so far this month in eight starts for him. It's only been 39 plate appearances. I think it is more than possible. This is their best outfield construction when it comes to their offensive production. Now, obviously, you are giving up a lot defensively having Juan Yepes out there compared to if Tyler O'Neill was out there. They both strike out a little bit, but Juan Yepes not as much as what you get out of Tyler O'Neill. It's hard to make a salient sports point when I'm sitting here and standing in a princess dress. I understand That's that. Why Tanner and I aren't looking. Tanner at you. will not look at I me right now. Look at him. <laughs> but I'm trying to make a real point here. <laughs> I can't have a serious conversation with you today. <laughs> I think the Cardinals might be better off offensively, and in this series where you're going up against a dynamite lineup in the Phillies, I know they've had their issues this year. Offense is going to come at a premium when you're going up against Zach Wheeler. Please look at me, you two. Aaron Nola in the first two games of the series. You're going to need some offensive production, and I think they might be better served with Juan Yepes than they would have been with Tyler O'Neill. I know that sounds weird to say because Tyler O'Neill was a legit MVP candidate last year, but it just has not come together for him this year. And I'm with you. I think you do probably get better production, at least when you're looking at it on paper from Juan Yepes. The, the thing for me is just the defense, and I know that you need the offensive firepower when you're going up against those guys but I think the defense is really important especially in the outfield for this team and I know that Ali's had a quote I think it was today in the paper where he said something like 
you can't win a game zero to zero. And I, I get that. That's totally fair. But I, I think the outfield ha- needs to be solid enough defensively. And maybe you go to the hands team then. Maybe you just end up going with a hands team that comes in like the fifth inning and keeps things close and hopefully you can get a lead. Maybe that's what they ultimately try to do. But I think I'm with you, though, that I would probably lean towards Yepes, but I think they're going to push more towards the defensive side of things. I don't think you're getting like there's not clear obvious answers that make you better defensively other than with Lars Nupar and Ben Delugio and you're not playing Ben Delugio out there. I think you are in the late innings. I'm, I'm like, no, no, I'm no, totally yeah, serious. No, I agree with you there, but you're only doing that if you are up in a game and the only way you're going to get up in a game is if you have offensive weapons. To be honest with you, I don't know if you're going to I don't think you can win this series from having the stellar defense that you've had in the past. I think you win this series by having good offense. And I think that's going to come from playing guys that you're not comfortable with playing in certain positions. And right now, I think the best option for you is Juan Yepes in left field, Carlson in center and Lars Nupar in right. And that sucks. It's unfortunate, but I think that's how the season has kind of gone for them. Is it to put them in the position that even if Tyler O'Neill were healthy, I don't know that I would be super confident in him getting back and healthy and being right offensively right immediately upon arrival. Like, I think that this might actually be a blessing in disguise for the Cardinals for them not to put him out there when we have no idea what he would look like offensively. Do you know how difficult it would be? How frustrating it would be to watch the Cardinals struggle offensively. Tyler O'Neill potentially strike out more than what you would want to see. And you say afterwards, man, Looking back, maybe they would have been better off going with Juan Yepes in left field. Yeah, but it's the same thing you say when you talk about going with Adam Wainwright. Like, you're going to go down with your guys. If Tyler O'Neill's healthy, you're going to go down with your guys. That The reason that I'm saying this, though, is I think you might have actually ended up, like, if he is not ready to go, if he's not 100%, it might be a blessing in disguise for the Cardinals because I I think it could have been an issue for them starting Tyler O'Neill in left field. If offensively he wasn't back on track, if he's not totally right when it comes to his timing, he's been out for a while now. This is what three weeks since he's last played a meaningful baseball game for the Cardinals in the big leagues. That's a long time to go without having any real swings in in a live action at bat. So I, I think that it's possible they ended up being on the best side of things here. And it sounds weird to say, because if I just said in a vacuum, would you rather have Juan Yepes starting in left field or Tyler O'Neill? I think the vast majority, like if we put that up on the poll on the 101 app, the vast majority of people would say they would rather have Tyler O'Neill. I yeah. think offensively, given the series that you're about to go into, though, I think it actually is probably better for them to go with Juan Yepes yeah, in the I, early innings. I mean, if you would have gotten, like, let's say Tyler would have been available to play two of these three games this week against Pittsburgh, I do agree with you in the sense that we'd be sitting there saying, okay, well, we saw Tyler O'Neill, but he's not 100%. And you're not going to play the guy who might be better offensively right now because you want Tyler O'Neill. I would be frustrated with that, especially if Tyler doesn't perform in the wild card. So, look, Juan Yepes is supposed to be a piece of this team. He was a prospect that everyone wanted to see. Guess what? Now you're going to see, see him, and you're going to see him in the biggest stage, and you're going to see him in the most important situation, and he's not going to be a DH. Can we briefly talk about your boy, Dakota Hudson, from last night? Because um, speaking of guys we're not going to see. Adios! I, I, think, uh, I think Dakota has just... I, I think... Uh, I think the sun is set on the season for Dakota Hudson. And I hate saying that, but he's not going to be on the playoff roster, right? I think he knows. At least for the wild card round. I think he knows and I know that it's not going to happen this year. I'd agree. I agree. I mean, what are the other options that you're going to be playing in his spot out of the bullpen? Zach Thompson. Yeah. I mean, like right-handers. Stratton. 
Hicks. No. Stratton, Flaherty. Stratton does not make me comfortable. I don't know why people like the Stratton idea. Yeah. I think Stratton's fine. Yeah. He's I think perfect. he's better than Dakota Hudson. I would agree with that. Like, you, you need two innings. Who do you feel better about, Stratton or Hudson? Stratton? I'd say Stratton, too. I think Hudson, I'll say this, I'd though. Say Hudson. Really? Yeah. I, as long as he's not starting the game right now. Hudson's got an issue with that first inning. I think I didn't see Hudson's start last night. I got home in time, but when he had been pulled from the game. You didn't miss a whole lot of I, encouraging I, I, so signs. So, he got into a jam, and he got through was it. Was his pace bad again? Yeah, he was yeah. slow. Yeah. Well, I think when he gets a pitch clock, he'll be fine. Yeah. But until then. I just don't understand how, like, one game the pace is there, and it's like, damn, you look awesome, and then the pace is gone. That's the, the frustrating game. part of it, man. I've been telling you this all year. I'm glad you're welcome. Welcome to the dark no, side, no, no, my no, no, friend. No, he's still an ace. It's just he needs that pitch clock. How Once many runs do you clock? think Chris Stratton's given up over the course of the last month and a half since September 1st? Isn't it like three? It's not a lot. Alex? Uh, less than five. It's two. So close. Chris Stratton, since I, being traded to the right. Cardinals, has given up the same number of earned runs as we saw from Dakota Hudson last night. Yeah. So we're putting him in the circle of trust now? No. I'm just saying he's a better option out of your bullpen than all, Dakota Hudson. That's all I'm all. saying is I brought him up to get a t-shirt, and you guys rejected him. With Alex Ferrario it's and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we'll get into some NFL quick hitters. Coming up at 1145-65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. But next, the Blues were in action last night as well. The Cardinals weren't the only one that was playing a meaningless baseball game. Now the Blues are also playing a meaningless hockey game. However... There were some real takeaways from this one, including two guys that we think made the roster and one guy who might be working his way toward doing exactly that. We'll tell you who those were next year on 101 ESPN. My will come. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Far wing, score! Jake Neighbors took the pass from Butch Navich, who drew the block because they thought he was going to shoot. And Neighbors puts the Blues on top, two to nothing. So it sounded like right here on 101 ESPN last night as the Blues win once again in preseason action. Four and one, boy. No, five and one, boys. Can you believe right, they lost like, that game? That nah, was trash. Was no trash. points out of it. Couldn't even get to overtime. Nah. Unbelievable. I, I honestly, I heard that and I said, in all seriousness, do they go to overtime in preseason hockey? Yeah, they did it once already. They, they, did. they did it. Well, they didn't go to overtime. They just did a shootout. They do overtime if they're tied, but sometimes they like to practice shootouts. They did that in the first game of the season. Hmm, I know them. you're checking your notes. It's hard to do with you got handcuffs on. Yeah, it's tough. You'll figure it out, buddy. Handcuffs and a dress. This is what I always expected my life to be. <sighs> this is what they said go to school for. With Alex Ferrario, he's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> I'm serving all three of my punishments today. <laughs> Tanner, I, I would put a bet down that Tanner does not make eye contact you once today. He can't. He can't do it. It's real. I this can't do this it. punishment is more difficult for Tanner than it is for me. And Earlier, which is hard to believe. And it's strange because usually the seven dwarfs are really close with Snow White. Yeah. Wow. Tanner's got all seven uh, covered. Right there. He does look a little sleepy. No, he's not happy. No, he's definitely not happy. Definitely grumpy. That makes sense. Yeah. No, Alex is grumpy. Yeah. Hey, man. 100%. Hey man, Alex my, is grumpy no. and sleepy reincarnated. Yeah, well, sleepy, yes. Not grumpy. My, my co-host is wearing a dress right now, so it's hard to be grumpy in this circumstance. Uh, but four, five and one, uh, BK in preseason action. That's Blues good. are red hot. You know, part of why they are four and one right now is Jake Neighbors. 
and Josh Levo. Darn right. Alex, did they lock up roster spots last night with the way that they performed? I think one player did. I think Josh Levo locked up his roster spot in that performance last night. And me personally, I feel like Jake Neighbors did it also because Jake Neighbors looked like a top nine forward for the Blues. He went to the net, scored that goal, also created a couple of other scoring opportunities. He plays very hard in the uh, corners, on the boards, in the offensive zone. And he, his line actually looked good. He, Braden, Shannon, Nathan Walker. So for me, there were two spots that were still available because the expectation is Torpchenko is going to be uh, placed on IR. Uh, so I think those two earned that spot for them because if you look at the roles they're going to play, top nine, that's Jake Neighbors. It pushes Ivan Barbashev down to a fourth-line role, which creates more length to your team. But Josh Levo, and it stinks because I thought Tyler Pitlick had that spot locked up, but his injury opened the door for Josh Levo, and it's hard to deny Josh Levo, who had two assists and had three opportunities to score last night. Now, he missed, but still. Is Josh Levo good? Josh Levo is very good in the American Hockey League. It's yet to be determined in the National Hockey League, but you've got to think about the teams that he has played with in the National Hockey League. Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary, Carolina. You can say that, but Toronto was the early portion of, like, the, it was like the beginnings of Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. It wasn't the now Toronto Maple Leafs. And the last team that he played on won 100, or had 100 points. Absolutely, but he was, a, he was very similar in the Carolina Hurricanes role to what he's going to be with the Blues role. But how does it benefit him if he's playing a fourth line role with St. Louis compared to Carolina? Carolina's got a grinding out fourth line. The Blues have that, but Noel Achari has scored 20 goals. If Barbashev's playing on that fourth line, you've got 26 goals. I think this fourth line's going to be different this year. I think this fourth line could potentially have three double-digit goal scorers on it. Double digits, 10, buddy. I'm not I'm not going 20s here. But you, you honestly, if they're going to get the ice time, and that's where this comes down to play here, if they get the trust from Craig Berube. But if you get the trust from Craig Berube and he's going to be playing you 13, 14 minutes a night, I mean, from what we've seen with Barbashev, from what we've seen with Levo, and from what we've seen with Achari, it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's going to be difficult, but you've got three guys that all go to the front of the net. All three of these guys have played on the power play at some point in preseason that's action. Yeah, it, it it's a very different unit than yep. what we're used to. And then you add in Torpchenko whenever he's ready Absolutely. to go. And man, and this Nathan lineup, Walker, who's not even probably in the lineup, if you're talking about this right now, though, he is right. At, well, but if you're, oh, gonna, I guess that's right. Walker, that's crazy. Walker and Levo are fighting for a fourth line spot if man. Neighbors makes the team. And, and Walker might get part. sent back down to the AHL whenever Torpchenko's ready to go. Because he's waiver eligible. The depth of this team is different than what it was a year ago. Mm-hmm. And you told me that beforehand, and I said, Alex, let's let's reel it in. You're getting overly excited. It's preseason. None of this matters. I, I'm changing my tune on this. Josh Levo is the reason. I Man, I've seen probably, what, 15 minutes of hockey out of Josh Levo in my entire life. <laughs> This guy's kind of good. He's interesting to me. And when I hear Craig Berube talking about Levo this way, I got to be honest, it did sway me a little bit in his direction. It's got a lot of good details to his game. You know, strong on pucks. He makes little subtle plays with the puck, you know, whether it's coming out of our end or in the offensive zone. Um, And he's got a good nose for the net. And he finds open ice very well in the offensive zone. Man, sounds like BK. I really have a kinship with this fourth line. I'm just going to leave it at that. Passes out some good apples on the ice and uh, 
I've been has trying a nose to think of what, I've been trying to think of what to say. <laughs> I've been savoring an apple puzzle. That's why me and Sod decided to get along so well. It's Just, the, the king apple. of apples, huh? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> There's our apples in passing, not Adam's apples. <laughs> I, I really am looking forward to seeing what this fourth line looks like. I, I am curious, though, because I know post-game yesterday, you and Joey Vitale were talking about Jake Neighbors' role and what it could look like to open up the season, not necessarily midseason, but to open the season, and Clem Costin's name came up. Here's what Joey Vitale had to say about a potential competition that is still taking place between Costin and Jake Neighbors. I think you have to play, you have to play the game here, right? It's not only about the performances you're seeing. It's about the possible players you may lose if you make a certain decision, right? So, again, even if, let's say, Josh Levo has an all-round better camp than Clem Costin, which I think he has. From a consistent basis, Josh Levo has been the better hockey player. But if you're Doug Armstrong, are you more willing to lose Clem Costin or Josh Levo based off of who you send out. And that's the game that I think you have to play. And that's why the competition, I I, I don't believe it's Jake, it's uh, Josh Levo and Clem Costin. I believe Josh Levo earned that spot last mm. night. I think it's Clem Costin and Jake Neighbors. And Joey's, Joey's right. Like, look, Clem Costin had a good game last night. Probably the most noticeable he's been all preseason. It sucks that it took him six games to get to this point. But my guess is they're going to play him Thursday to see if he can carry off of that. And if he does well, they'll play him Saturday. And if he does well in all of those games and Jake Neighbors performs well, but Clem Costin is doing that, who are you going to lose through waivers? Are you going to lose a Clem Costin or are you going to lose a Josh Levo? And I think... You're more than likely to lose a Clem Costin. Josh Levo's probably already on this roster. Jake Neighbors doesn't have to clear waivers. Jake Neighbors doesn't have to be a third-line player for you. And what Joey talked about was he thinks Jake Neighbors should be playing with Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Cairo at some point this season. I'm not there yet because Jake's got a lot of offense to get into his game before he can be playing with those guys. But... I would much rather, and I know people are so done on Clem Costin, I would much rather take my chance and give Clem Costin a couple of weeks of being a fourth liner to see if he can continue building on the confidence, tell Jake Neighbors to go be a top-line forward for the American Hockey League, and then if Jake Neighbors dominates like Logan Brown did last season, like Scott Perunovich did last season, then I call him up and say, you don't need to do anything else in the AHL. Now you're at the NHL. And if Clem Costin's play doesn't continue or Josh Levo's con- uh play doesn't continue then I'm going to send them down and they're less likely to get claimed on waivers if they're not performing at the NHL level by another team because then they're going to have to put them on the NHL roster so this is the game that I think Doug Armstrong is going to have to play which is starting to push me towards the direction of maybe Jake Neighbors does start in the American Hockey League yeah this is the 40-man roster that we talk about with the Cardinals and I just hate it I, I, I think you keep your best players especially in a race that's going to be as tight as it is this year in the Western Conference I don't think that the Blues should play these games. We, I think we know realistically, like if we're honest with ourselves, we have a pretty good idea what Clem Costin is and what he isn't. What he is is super inconsistent. What he isn't is a guy that's going to be in your top nine for the vast majority of this season. It's just not going to happen for him, and that's okay. And if you lose him on waivers, man, so be it. You've got other guys. Like, you tell me, Alex, who do you think is going to be a more productive player for the Blues this season if they were given the exact same amount of ice time? Nathan Walker or Clem Costin? Which one, if you had to guess, same amount of ice time, exact same role, which one would you rather see that's going to be more productive for the Blues more often? I think the way that they want that role to be played, it's Nathan Walker. I would too. 
And you're going to have Nathan Walker all season long. You're going to have Alexei Torbchenko. You've got Josh Levo right now. You've got Nola Chari. You've got Ivan Barbashev. You have players that are in the role that the Blues would be asking Clem Costin to play. I don't think I would worry about losing him via waivers. Let me see what Jake Neighbors looks like. And the reason why is because the same things that we're talking about with Clem Costin, hey, don't lose him via waivers. It's a different argument, but the same process. I want to find out what Jake Neighbors is before they get uh, Torpchenko back onto the ice. I want to find out, is he a guy that can play top nine minutes for me this year? Or does he need to be sent back down to the AHL when Torpchenko is ready to go? So that way I can put Ivan Barbashev on that third line. I can find that out in the first 10 to 15 games this year, similar to the seven game tryout that he had a year ago where you found out, okay, it's close. He's close to being ready to go, but he's probably best served this year by going back down to juniors and having a full season of dominating at that level. I feel the same way this year. Let's go ahead and find out what Jake neighbors is. Now we have had this process before with Clem Costin. It didn't go well. It's just not going to happen for him. One game where he played well last night when we have an, we had an entire preseason beforehand where he didn't perform. That's not enough for me to be able to sway me in his direction. Now, if he's great over the next three games, maybe we can have the conversation, but personally, I, I don't think that it would change anything for me. I would still be leaning in the direction of Jake. I'm absolutely with you there. And the, the interesting part of all of this is what's the update with Torpchenko because he was taking contact drills once again at practice a couple of days ago. I don't think he's going to be ready for October 15th, but if he's ready to play by October 22nd, then you're going to get a week's worth of games in. And you know what? Maybe they do say, Hey, Let's send Jake Neighbors down for a week, see what he can do. Let's give Clem Costin a week to be a fourth liner. Let's put Barbashev on the third line, Josh Levo on the third line. By the way, Josh Levo's uh, roommates with Logan Brown, so <laughs> might be the fourth best acquisition Ooh, by Doug baby. Armstrong in, in his history with the Blues. Okay. Watch out now. But give them a week to say, look, if you don't want to go back to the AHL, you got a week. And if you're not playing the level we need you to, you're going to go down when Torpchenko's back up. And then that's the decision you make. You just don't want to take a shot at your depth if you're Doug Armstrong because you're going to need all of these pieces if you want to go on a Stanley Cup run. In 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line. But coming up next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, including who is the team that you bought stock in at the beginning of the season that you are ready to sell, sell, sell today? And who are the teams that you sold at the beginning of the year that you're trying to buy as of today? We'll talk about it coming up next here on 101 ESPN. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's home from work we go. Hi-ho, 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 hi-ho. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Kylie, some quick Cardinals news to react to first before we get to some NFL quick hitters. This comes from Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider for the Athletics. She joins us weekly here on BK and Ferrario. She tweets out Matthew Libertor will start today's regular season finale for the Cardinals. They are also expected to activate Jordan Hicks today. It's probably a dream. Here's the important part to this. Any corresponding move would be ineligible to be added to any roster over the next 15 days. So that means the wild card round and the NLDS, whoever is optioned down today would be ineligible to be on either of those two rosters 
My guess is that we will see Dakota Hudson and Jake Woodford option down today. Maybe Jojo Romero. I could see it, it's possible it's Dakota Hudson Man, and Jojo Romero. It's like three eulogies in one day. This is too much for me. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that. I think those are the guys. I don't see a spot for Jojo Romero anymore, which is insane because three weeks ago I said there were, he was yeah. probably your top guy, but Zach Thompson has been impressive. And with stuff Steven Matz. quickly, man. Yeah. Three weeks ago there was a lot of stuff that with was With Steven Matz and potentially Jordan Montgomery in your bullpen, I, uh, there's no spot for Romero. As much as I don't like to say it, I think Dakota Hudson probably is going to be option in this circumstance because you have other options there. And then who was the third you said? Uh, just those two. Just, just those two. two. Yeah, I, I think those are the two. And maybe Paul DeYoung. Say, no, that won't happen, unfortunately. Yeah. But I, I, I think I'm with you. I think they will option Romero, and I think they will option Hudson. I think they won't option Woodford yet because they're still deciding whether or not he'll be on the roster. And basically what that comes down to is, do you carry Woodford in your bullpen or Adam Wainwright? And I think that's the decision that they're going to have to make. So I wouldn't, I would not expect Jake Woodford to be optioned today. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. We'll get questions and answers in about 10 minutes or so. Let's start with this. Who is the team that you bought stock in at the beginning of the year? That as of today, you're saying sell, sell, sell. I want none of their stock. Anybody that's buying, I will sell you their stock. Who's the team that you are now way lower on than when we began the regular season? Uh, I got two of them. Okay. Green Bay and Tampa Bay. Hmm. Kind of a coincidence that both of them have bays at the end of it. But both of those teams, I thought, were going to be um, still very impressive. I thought Green Bay's defense was going to actually lead them past their problems, their shortcomings on the offensive side. And that has not been the case. And Tampa Bay just looks awful. Tampa Bay's offense can't protect Tom Brady. Tom Brady doesn't have guys to throw to because they're hurt pretty much every other week. I know they came back in that game against Kansas City, but those two teams I thought could potentially still fight for a Super Bowl. Not anymore. I'm selling that stock. Those are two good ones. The one for me is the Indianapolis Colts. I bought stock of them. I thought they would win that AFC South. I thought they'd be a team that could contend in the AFC. And they is that just, the Colts? Yeah. That they, was my, that's one of mine as well. They just can't do anything. I mean, they, they look broken. I, I think Frank Reich's going to end up being fired before we get to the end of the regular season. I think if they lose on Thursday, he may get the uh, may get the can kick. So he may be out by Thursday night, and then they go look for a new coach for the interim and do that when you got a long week ahead of you. I think Indy loses tonight, or excuse me, tomorrow. I think Frank Wright's done, so I'm selling as much stock as I can of Indianapolis. There's a lot of teams you could throw into this. I have one other, because Indy was one of mine as well. Is it the Raiders? It's not. I wasn't buying on them beforehand. I I thought they would be fourth in the AFC West. I got a lot of crap for that on our text line before the season. (laughs) How you feeling today, text line? I don't think Uh, you can trash talk today, man. Not a dress. That's a very fair point, after I'm the one that's gone 0-9 in my picks over the last three weeks. Uh, The Pittsburgh Steelers. I didn't think they were going to be good this year. I thought they would be like an eight or nine win team, though. They look like they're number one pick ready right now. That team is bad in every facet of the game. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm listening. So uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers would be the team that I would you're sell. Not, you're, so you're not in on Kenny Pickett of turning that team no. around? Their offensive line is atrocious. They have no running game to speak of. Their defense They're, without TJ Watt is awful. Yeah, it's just not what yeah. I was expecting them to be. I think this is a rebuilding year. Look at their next four games, guys. At Buffalo. Tampa at home, at Miami, at Philly. They are about to go 0-4 in their next four games. They will be 1-7 on the year at that point in time. And when you are that bad early on in the season, man, that locker room is a dreadful place to be. It is just miserable because everybody knows you're playing out the string. You've basically been eliminated at your bye week. That is the worst place to be as a football team. So I think the Steelers are going to be like a 4-5 or win team this year. I never in a million years thought that a, a Mike Tomlin team would be that bad. Can I give some props to a texter real quick? 
From the 314, another coincidence, both Tampa Bay and Green Bay's quarterbacks are both Bayless. B-A-E. You don't get that, do you, T-Bone? No. B-A-E-less. They're both about to be one divorced, the other broke up before anyone else. I don't get it. Okay. Moving on. Uh, Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. Continue with NFL quick hitters. Who is the team that you were selling on before the season that now you want to buy their stock? Tanner, I know one that should be coming to mind for you. Are you thinking Jacksonville? Yep. Yeah. Six Um, men. That's 12 beers you're going to be buying by the end of the season. Yeah, I'm afraid that's also the. Yeah, I wish that was happen. the only punishment that I had. I, I think. Uh, <laughs> Buying 12 beers sounds easy right now. Hey, well, two paintball guns are the equivalent, right? Uh-huh. I'd say there's probably three for me. I think Jacksonville is definitely one of them. Miami, I wasn't completely sold on them because I didn't trust Tua. Now, granted, their season might be changing here because Tua is out with the concussion. And then the other one for me, and I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but Philly? it's. Well, Philly up there, but how many times did he tell us, no, Philly can't win the AFC, NFC East. They can't do the it. Team, the, team the, on buy, the team on buying stock in, and they're not even in first place in their division, is Detroit. I think Detroit's good. I know the defense is bad, but I would buy stock that they could get into the playoffs here in the NFC. What? Yeah. I was actually going to say Detroit, too. <laughs> See? <laughs> They've allowed more points than any other team. Yeah, they scored more points than anybody in the NFL, it seems like. They've been outscored 141 to 140. Hey, it's fine. Dan Campbell will start biting some yeah, kneecaps sooner or later. The Bears have allowed 77 points this year. Hey. The Detroit Lions have allowed 141. Hey, Princess, mm. I'm buying stock in the Lions. <laughs> the Chiefs, who have... What, the second best offense in terms of scoring in the NFL this year? Have scored 129 points. Yikes. Okay. My, you my, can buy the lines. Mine are, I'm them. Mine are the Vikings. Stock's low. And, like, I'm kind, of in be- stock. I'm kind of in between on these because, like, I also would probably sell the stock on the Vikings because Kirk Cousins is just a disaster. But I'm so high on them now because I thought Kirk Cousins was going to be a disaster, that the playmakers that they have are actually really impressive. Yeah, Cousins is still bad. I get it, but like they're still probably going to be one of the best teams in the NFC this season, right up there with Philly. I got to go back to Tanner's team. I got to buy a little stock in the Dallas Cowboys. I was sell, sell, sell before the season whenever they lost all those players. Man, they lost their quarterback as well, and they're 3-1. and one. It's because Cooper Rush. He's fine, but when Dak Prescott gets back, that team could make the playoffs. I mean, the Cowboys should win, what, 10, 11 games this year, probably? Do they have the best defense in the NFC? Better than Tampa Bay's? I still think Tampa is probably my favorite, but I think you could make an argument for San Francisco as well. San Francisco's defense is really good. Yeah. They are historically good against the run through the first four games of the season. I love everything about Dallas's defense, though. I mean, you have no opportunity to breathe when it comes to their front defense, the middle defense, or even the secondary. Like, they're all over you. And, I mean, they've won them the last two games for how well they've performed. They're going to win them the game this week yeah. when they play the Rams. I, I think Micah, Parson, Micah Parsons oh, yeah. might single-handedly win that game yeah. for them. Uh, all right. I feel bad for Matthew. Last thing here. It's all right. Tommy John. ESPN released yesterday their top five teams in offensive EPA. Now, I know when I say that, people are like, BK, stop with the advanced stats. Basically, it's a measurement of how good are you offensively. Nerd. So let's think of it a different way. They released their power rankings of the best offenses in the NFL yesterday. Number one was the Chiefs. Number two was your Lions, Tanner. Why would you buy stock in that? Number three was the Dolphins. Number four, the Browns. And number five, the Seahawks. How the hell are the Browns on this list? How are the Seahawks and the Lions on this list? Well, the Lions oh. should be on this yeah, list. The Lions, the Lions offense under- is just unstoppable. The Lions, I could understand. They just put up 45 points without DeAndre Swift and Amari St. I know, Brown. that's shocking. 
Their defense is awful. It's fine. So between the Lions, Dolphins, Browns, and Seahawks, those four, all of which I think if you told me before the season they're going to be a top five offense through the first four weeks of the season, I would have been surprised by. Which one is most likely to be there at the end of the year? Lions, Dolphins, Browns, or Seahawks? And I want to say Dolphins because... I mean, it's hard to not pick them, but I don't know what their Teddy Bridgewater is not going to have the same effect on that team that Tua did. I don't think the Browns are going to be there even when they get Deshaun Watson back. I definitely don't think the Seahawks are going to. So I might actually say the Lions. I don't know why I'm picking them, but they've just got so many weapons right now that you can use with Swift and Williams in the back. And you've got uh, St. Brown. And now that they've got a couple of other Chark has been actually really good for them. I think it's I think it's between the Dolphins and the Lions, and it really depends on what quarterback is playing for Miami. I think I'm still gonna go with Miami, just because even with Bridgewater, I think they can do it. Like Tua does all Tua has to do is I've said this a lot. Tua doesn't have to be great; he just has to be good. And I think Bridgewater can be good enough to allow that offense to still survive while Tua is out. But if he does not end up being that, I, I think I still think Detroit will finish top five, even though I'm taking Miami here. I think Detroit will. Jared Goff, when he's got weapons around him, he's he can play well enough to where the offense will be good enough. You saw that in L.A., how he got the Rams to a Super Bowl. And as you mentioned, he listed off all their weapons. And this week, they didn't even have some of them. And he went to T.J. Hawkinson and was able to destroy Seattle's defense. So I think Detroit will still finish top five. But if you said if there's one that I would, like, guarantee, I would say Miami still. I'm going Detroit. You just told them not to take stock in them, man. Not to win a bunch of games. I think that that defense is so bad that it is going to prevent them from having any opportunity to win games consistently. But, like, look at their schedule in the second half. Dallas, Miami, Green Bay, Buffalo, Jacksonville, Minnesota. You're going to get some shootouts down the stretch. So I think that they're going to be a team that has to score regularly. 35 points to be in games not to win them to be in games and I think that's going to keep them as a legit top five offense in the NFL this season which is wild to say I did not expect that to be the case coming into the season coming up in 15 minutes Katie Wu is not just clowning me on Twitter she's also putting out her wild card roster projections it's got one real surprise in my mind we'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes questions and answers coming up next we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. From the 618, guys, have they announced what time the games are going to be this weekend? They have not, which I think is a is a really bad look for baseball, honestly. They have known now for 12 hours what the matchups are going to be. They are completely set. What's the holdup? What's did the you, point of holding off on this? Did you see? I think they sent out a tweet today. If the playoffs started today, here's what the field would look like. What do you mean if the playoffs? That is the field. Yeah, it, it's going to be the field. We all know what it looks like. It is locked in. There are no meaningful baseball games that are being played today. No, man. All the divisions are still fighting for position at like, the last game of the season in baseball. What are we doing? Why are we waiting here? And if you're somebody that works downtown, for example, here in St. Louis, and you work at a restaurant, How are you preparing right now for what your staffing is going to be on Friday? 
It's damn near impossible. Could you imagine, or Saturday or Sunday. Could you imagine trying to figure out Ballpark Village scheduling no. the day oh, before gosh. all of this starts? Yeah, it, it's it's absolutely absurd that they have not yet determined. Way to go, Manfred. Uh, you know what? They have determined. They know what the times are. I, I, the I only think, people that don't is us. I was. I think the team knows and the team is able to have their employees know of like what's going on. But the people it's that, dumb to not have it publicly announced. Yeah, well, the people that aren't affiliated with it, that is dumb because you're going to get a lot of people. If it's an afternoon game, you're going to get a lot of people that are doing takeout orders and wanting to be home in time so that they can get food and making sure. Yeah, it's awful to sit there and not do that to people and not yeah. prepare them for the weekend. It's absurd. So I, I don't understand why they are waiting this long to announce it. It makes no sense for me. My guess is the Cardinals will have an afternoon game. I don't know which one. There's three of them. The night game, my assumption is, will be Mets versus Padres. That's going to be the highest rated game. It's got the best uh, crew on it from ESPN. They kind of hinted at it. That's my guess as to when the Mets will play. The other three series, though, I have no idea. Cardinals, I think the options are noon, one, or three local time. So it'll it'll be an afternoon uh, game, but we just don't know which I one. I think we all need to do our part to try and get these out as soon as possible. And uh, BK, once we hit commercial break, you need to go try and wish upon a star. Or a magic mirror. Maybe, uh... I think the mirrors... Maybe put some of your magic fairy dust. Come on. I'll remember that on the base. What do you mean you'll remember, remember that? that? You're going to go 0-3 again. Can't wait for uh, for your first punishment. It's going to be fun. Sounds it's like a, I'm never going to have one. that Alex has not been punished yet. He's Absolutely shocking. He, as he said, I'm, I think the, I'm the least cockiest one out of all of us. You, you brag about being 2-1 and one every week. It's it's fair to brag about right now. Yeah, I'm Mr. I mean, it is. It's actually 0-2-1. Oh, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. Somebody, by the way, says, I work for the Cardinals. We do not yet know the So times. they have been told. That's that. That's, that's good, bad, then. Of course. All right. From the 314. Hey, guys, what are you more concerned about going into the playoffs for the Cardinals, the pitching or the offense? It's been the offense for the last month for me, and I don't think that's ever going to change. I think they're fine on pitching. It's not the best, especially when you look at who they're going to be going up against with Nola and Wheeler as the first two. But your pitching is been the big reason that you've been successful this season for how good they've been and been able to overcome the injuries. It's always been the offense. And as T-Bone and you have said, if you don't have Goldschmidt Arenado, you can pretty much kiss getting out of the wild card goodbye. Yeah, I, I think I'm with Alex. I, I think it's more the offense for me because how many times have we said that this offense hasn't hit good pitching? And as he mentioned, that the offense basically goes around Goldie and Arenado. And Goldie still really hasn't heated up. Yep. He, he struggled in the month of September still. Only hitting 245 with an OPS of 716. So he's been fine, but he's not at the level that you need him to be. And if him or Arnado aren't hitting, this team's not going to go very far, as Alex said. So I, I think my bigger concern is the offense. I think the pitching, though I agree on paper, they're going to be viewed as the underdog because of their pitching and their starting rotation and their bullpen. I think their pitching gives them at least a shot. And I think that's what they, I think it's going to be just like in the wildcard game last year where your bullpen and your starting, your starters will give you a chance. Can the offense just come up with that one big hit? That's where I'm at as well. I think it's the hitting, um, and it's because of, A, the history for the Cardinals in the playoffs offensively, and B, the pitchers you're going up against. When you go up against Wheeler and Nola, it's not going to be an easy night, and we know that day, I guess, potentially. We'll see. They haven't announced the times. Um, We know that going in, but they've got to be able to scrounge together some hits. They've got to put together competitive at-bats and get those guys out of the game as early as possible. So for me, it is also the offense going into the playoffs. We have three questions for me that are all kind of the same. 
From the 618, BK, how does it feel to be princess for a day? From the 618 as well, be honest, BK, are you losing on purpose to make better radio? That's a good and question. from the 573, has Prince Charming called into the show yet? <laughs> Who would uh, be your Prince Charming, buddy? To answer the last one first, no. To answer the second one, am I losing on purpose? No. Uh, I wish I was, I but you're no. just trying to get attention. And how does it feel to be a princess for a day? I got to be honest with you. I've never had this many dirty looks in our studio as I have today. Every single person that has walked by gives me some version of a, what the bleep is going on in there? So I can't even look at them still. I, th- I, I do think there's something to you losing on purpose, trying to get some attention. <laughs> I promise you, I am not this good at making picks to be able to go 0 and 9 losing on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I was. If I was this good at making know, man, losing picks, I would be you way win- better at making winning the picks. The first week you were 3 and 0, and since you've been 0 and 3, like there's no in between with you. That's hey, true. Every now and then a blind squirrel finds a nut, okay? I think that's what happened. Well, except for me. Well, <laughs> I just continuously blinded. Yeah. <laughs> blinded by the lights or lighted by the blights? I'm not sure. Coming up in 15 minutes, let's play a game of more likely oh, to happen. You give us lights. two scenarios, okay. I'll tell you which one's more likely. But next. Katie Wu put together her projection for the Cardinals playoff roster earlier today over on The Athletic. There's one name that is included on the list and one name that is excluded from the list. That had me pretty surprised. We'll tell you who that is coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm Brandon Kylie. Chokers. I'm getting a little tight around my neck. Is that what they're called? According to Twitter, we the do Twitter. officially have the start times. Tanner, do we have breaking news? Breaking news! That'll work. That's not the breaking news. Friday. Sorry, I didn't want to prepare for that. First pitch for the Cardinals versus the Phillies. 107 local time. Can I say Come that? Come on! We will be hosting that game right here on 101 ESPN. Let's We're go! hosting it? Yep. Uh, can I do play-by-play? Play? Right here on can I do 101 play by play ESPN. Are you going to do play-by-play? Play? I'm definitely not doing play-by-play. Right, I'll play. do play-by-play. Play. Okay. Do we play will be play. off at 1 o'clock. The game will begin at 107. We will be driving immediately down to <laughs> Bush Stadium. We'll be speeding to Hopefully covered. To Bush Stadium. Starting in like the second inning, the Cardinals versus the Phillies game. So looking forward yeah. to that. Awesome. We will be listening along with you for the first inning on 101 ESPN. Saturday's game, game two will be started at 7.37 local times. That'll be a night game here at Bush Stadium. Uh, And on Sunday, I'm... Sunday. Good day to go to see Tom Segura. Uh, And on Sunday... No, Bill Segura. Yeah. On Sunday, if necessary, the game will begin at 7.37 as well. So a night game on Saturday and Sunday here in St. Louis. That's right when my colonoscopy medicine is going to kick in. (laughs) So I'm going to be... uh, in a bathroom with the You're television. Be with us, uh, uh, covering I, the Sunday game. I tell you game, what, huh? I will. Um, I will do a Facebook live with you guys live I from my bathroom. I don't want to be a part of that Facebook. Live. I'm very happy that the Cardinals are playing night games on Saturday and Sunday. I think that's going to be an awesome. Environment. If I had a preference, I would rather have the night game Saturday and Sunday than on Friday. Oh, see, I, uh, like I would go the opposite. Okay, but if you're going to give me one day game, I have the first one to be the day game, and then give me the weekend to have the evening games. I would want a Friday night game, Saturday day game, Sunday night game. Oh, see, I want. I, 
in an ideal scenario. I, I want elimination games to be evening games. I'm with you there. I, I like the elimination games in the evening. Yep. I I would prefer night games probably in all three. If I'm just being completely honest, if you okay, said you well, have to have an after, sorry, if you said if you had to have an afternoon game, I would take like a middle of the day game on like a Friday. You I can't, think that works. You can't have your poison apple. So and the it full too. schedule has now been released. Uh, Tampa <laughs> at Cleveland will start at 11 a.m. local time Ugh. on ESPN. Uh, Philly at St. Louis will begin at one o'clock local time. Seattle at Toronto at three. And we were right. San Diego versus the Mets will be at seven o'clock local time. Makes the sense. I will say this for all the crap that we've given to baseball, most of which is deserving. They got this right. This is pretty cool. Like this is, this is going to feel like the NCAA tournament where all day on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, any baseball you want to consume, man, it's all right there. Ready for you. That's that's going to be a heck of a lot of fun to be able to watch this weekend. I agree. I, I We got the taste of it, and I know uh, old man Tanner hated it, but we got the taste of it during uh, the pandemic, and I loved oh, yeah, it. that was bad. I, uh, I prefer it this way. I think all playoffs should be like this, where you have a full day slate of it, rather than, you know, you just got one game here and then one game there. This is the way it should be, and if baseball's done anything right this season, this is it. Yeah, this will be fun to watch. The one series that I just, I'll be honest, have no interest in watching. Tampa Cleveland? Yeah, and that's why they put that game at 11 o'clock. See, I so. actually, I, I'm, I'm curious with Cleveland because I don't think Cleveland because should you like be. like Shane Bieber. You're excited for him to be a Cardinal yeah. next year. Let's be honest. Well, you're basically looking at our minor league system and, the North. Yeah. and uh, their infielder. Why can't I think of their infielder's name? Jose Ramirez? Yeah. Two Didn't team. he just resign an yeah, extension, though? He ain't going anywhere. You got the contract now. Two-team trade. You get Bieber. And Ramirez, there's your shortstop, yeah, and then you send well, them. Ramirez ain't playing shortstop. Yeah, he's fine. <laughs> he can do shortstop, but then you he send them. Second. That'd be like putting Burrell. You send them Libertor and Paul DeYoung, and there you go. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll work. Trade done. Other than the Cardinal series, which series is most intriguing to you? Are we all in the same San Diego at New York? Yeah, San Diego, and I, I am. I would put Seattle and Toronto in this conversation too, because that I, one's going to be really fun. There's so much young talent because in that winner series. of that takes on the Yankees, correct? Or do they get the Astros? I'd have to look at the. I thought uh, it was the Yankees that they the way got. The things break down. I think it is. Nah, is actually, it the Astros? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Oh. Because I, Seattle's the six, so I'm trying to think the bracket in my Seattle head. Seattle and Toronto are an intriguing one because of the young talent. It is Houston. It's the winner Houston. of that place, yeah. Houston. So I don't know if you got a chance against Houston, but it's still going to be fun to see one of those two young teams. I Personally, I hope it's Toronto. I, I think the series I'm most excited about is the Toronto one. Like The Mets one's going to be cool against San Diego. Like I think that's a really close matchup. I think either team's got a chance in that one. I just enjoy watching playoff baseball in Toronto because that atmosphere is unbelievable. I mean, you saw it when they had that those big sluggers in Batista yeah. and Carnacion, like those I'll never forget that Batista oh. bat. Yeah, that that's Toronto so does incredible. it right, man. So Toronto, Toronto's just such a cool atmosphere to watch a baseball game just on your television because of how loud it gets in that place. So that's the one that I'm going to be most Too bad the hockey team sucks and can't make the playoffs or go be uh, deeper in the playoffs because basketball has done it well in Toronto and baseball always does it well in the playoffs. So uh, I'm excited for that one. I, I think I'm with Tanner. I think I might actually have that above San Diego and the Mets in terms of excitement. Really? Yeah. Because I think I know what I'm getting out of the Mets and the Padres series. I don't know what I'm getting out of those two young teams going head-to-head. I don't feel like I know what I'm getting out of that series at all. I I think that the Padres have a real shot in that one. Mets going to Mets. I've been telling you guys that since April. Because I think that the as much as we say, hey, going into a series, the Mets are going to have an obvious and decisive advantage pitching-wise with Scherzer and DeGrom, I, I do believe that most of the time. But, I mean, how much worse are you Darvish and Blake Snell and Joe Musgrove than what they're throwing out there for the Mets? It's it's not as good. I agree. 
but it's not as big of a gap as I think a lot would like to believe. The Padres can absolutely hold their own when it comes to what their pitching is in this series. And then you look at the lineups, man, especially over the last month or so, they ain't all that dissimilar. It's a it's going to be an interesting matchup, I mm-hmm. think. All right. Katie Wu, speaking of the Cardinals wild card round, put out her projected wild card roster. Most of it is as expected. You got Kisner and Yadier Molina. The infielders are what you would think. Arenado, Edmund, Goldie, Albert, Donovan, DeYoung. And then in the outfield, she's got them carrying six outfielders, which I don't think it would have been that way if Tyler O'Neill was back. But because you're going to be playing the matchups, she's got Burleson, Carlson, Delugio, Dickerson, Newtbar, and Yepes, all of whom I actually agree with. And then on the pitching side of things, it's all of the starters plus Gallegos, Hicks, Helsley, uh, Mats, Palante, Stratton. So Wayno's on it. Wayno is on it. And Dakota Hudson is as well. I do not believe Dakota Hudson is going to make this roster. The one big surprise for me that is not on her playoff roster is Zach Thompson. Now, when you hear the Cardinals talk about Zach Thompson, this is Ollie Marmol or anybody else that speaks publicly about him. They do not appear to be as high on Zach Thompson as we are on Zach Thompson. And I think Danny Mack kind of gave us the wink, wink, nod or nudge, nudge on this yesterday when he joined us. And he said, hey, they don't know what they're getting out of Zach Thompson. One day he's throwing 93. The next day he's throwing 99. It looks really good. And then it looks okay. I understand that. But even when he's throwing 93, he's effective. The dude just finds a way to get guys out. He's he's got like a 0.9 ERA for the Cardinals this season in the big leagues. He's been outstanding. So I don't think there's any scenario in which he is not on my playoff roster. I would definitely have him over Dakota Hudson. That is the one big change that I would make. Otherwise, it's hard to argue with a whole lot of this. Wayno would be the one that I think you could point out and say, hey, maybe that's the other one. So other than Montgomery and Quintana, who are the quote-unquote starters, and Matts is in your bullpen, you only have one lefty? Did I, did I hear that correct? It would be Matts if you're so, not carrying Thompson. Matts and Palante effectively serves as a lefty of the coming righties. out of your bullpen yeah, uh, because of his reverse splits. But yeah, in terms of what you have in your bullpen, that is correct. I mean, I guess that's true because you are going to be using but Palante I would have Thompson over Hudson. So that would be my other one. Yeah, I, I, I see that. I, I, I think the reason that if I were to guess she has Hudson on this list is because all of those guys, with the exception, I guess, Palante's a little of this. None of them are ground ball pitchers. Am I am I missing something there? Because I I, I Palante. think yeah. So Palante Stratton. would be the only one. Stratton too. Flaherty gets a good amount of ground balls as well. Yeah, I just don't see how Dakota Hudson's on there. And I mean, you know me, I'm the biggest proponent of of Dakota Hudson, but I, I just don't see. I I think I would carry Zach Thompson, even if you don't know what you're getting from him. You at least know that you have him. You don't have to use him, but you know you have him if you need it. Yeah, I, I would carry Zach Thompson as well over Dakota Hudson, like. I think Hudson had a shot to be on the playoff roster, but then last night he fell back into Hudson habits, and I think that's the part that I look at and I say, okay, now that we saw what that looked like, I get it. Maybe he's better in just a one-ending sample size, but we got to turn to Zach Thompson, and I agree with you, BK. I, even when he's throwing 93, I think he's got stuff that plays here in the big leagues, and he's got swing and miss stuff, in yep. my opinion. So I, I think That curveball is, is his best pitch. Yeah, so I, I think you carry him, and I get it that the Phillies mash left-handed pitching, but I think you can use him and try to match him up against lefties like three. yeah Schwarber and uh, Harper. I, I think it makes a ton of sense. But if they're worried about the unknown, do you want to use him against those three hitters? Yes. 
Because who are your other options? Like, I think you're going to use Palante. Mats. I think you're using Mats. I, I trust Thompson against those guys more than I trust Palante because Palante doesn't have swing and miss I mean, stuff. I'm with you, but if the Cardinals don't trust him, they're not going to use him. I mean, how many times have we seen this season where they don't trust a guy and they don't use him? Well, Jim Woodford for the longest portion of the season was we just don't but trust him. he's different them. than Woodford in that he is he does have swing and miss, and Woodford does not. And Woodford was a guy that was getting guys out, but his underlying numbers were not good. Thompson's underlying numbers are also pretty darn good. And I, I don't think, like, I mean, I know you mentioned Palante. Well, they trust him. They can essentially use him as a left-handed batter. I mean, he struggled in the month of September. You look at his numbers. He's got an ERA above six. He's been walking a bunch of guys. I think we brought up the walk issues in the past with him when he was a starter. And it didn't end up coming back to bite him. But this this month alone, 10 and two-thirds innings pitched, He's got a 341 batting average against him, six walks, seven earned runs, four strikeouts. So I, I think that as much as it's easy to say, well, they should trust uh, Andre Pallante. I mean, his month of September hasn't given me any signs that I say, yeah, he's a guy I want to bring in a high leverage spot. I trust Zach Thompson. To me, the eye test from Zach Thompson shows he can handle being in a role. And I'm not saying he has to come in in like the seventh inning and get those guys out. Maybe it's just you have him there because of what you're talking about. In case of a scenario comes up, say it's that game three and you only go with uh, Jack Flaherty or Jordan Montgomery for the first like three innings and the leash kind of runs out. What do you do? Second or third time through the line, if you turn to Zach Thompson in the fourth or fifth inning and see if he can get those three guys out. I don't think it necessarily has to be a high leverage spot where it's like the seventh or eighth inning that he's coming in. Yeah. I just think I want him there because I feel more comfortable having two lefties in my bullpen to where I can try and match them up against the top three. Game one, you go to Steven Matz in that spot. Game two, you go to uh, Zach Thompson in that spot. Game three, you go back to Steven. If necessary, you go back to Steven Matz in that spot. Like That's the way that I would handle it. If you get into the third time through the order, you're using them for three batters. It's the top three in their lineup. You're going to them for Schwarber, and then you just hope like crazy that they're able to get out Reese Hoskins, which is not an easy thing to do. He is really good against left-handed pitching, but that's the risk you have to take because of the way that their lineup is con- is constructed. You go to them for Hoskins, and then you get them out after whatever they do against Bryce Harper. And if Mats and Thompson don't get out of that inning clean, hey man, that's the risk you take by going to those guys in that spot. And then afterwards, you go to another high leverage reliever, probably somebody like, honestly, I would probably in game one go to Jack Flaherty after that and let him get the bottom of the lineup. So he gets six batters, and then you go to your high leverage relievers with Gallegos and Helsley, or maybe you throw in uh, Jordan Hicks potentially into that mix as well. And you see where that gets you. And if it works out, great. If not, you gave your best guys a a shot and they weren't able to get the job done. Coming up in 15 minutes, hey, Aaron Judge's home run mark is maybe the most impressive home run total that we've seen in Major League Baseball season uh, history in a single season. I'll explain why coming up in 15 minutes. But coming up next, let's play a game of more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Seven eight zero is the that. air comfort service tax line for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely. Let's start out with this one. More likely as a five seed to make it to the World Series, the Padres or the Mariners. Padres path would be the Mets, yeah. the Dodgers, and then one of the Phillies, Cardinals, or the Braves. The Mariners path would be the Astros after they beat the Toronto Blue Jays. 
and then one of the Yankees, Guardians, or Rays. I think it would be the Padres, and that's insane to say, but I actually think the Padres match up well with the Mets, um, and then depending on what happens with the Dodgers, the, the Mariners... They've got a couple of good weapons, but I don't know if they're deep enough to deal with the Houston Astros. That series, if it got to that point, I just don't I don't think that would be a series, to be honest. See, I think I'm going to go with Seattle. And the reason I say that is because I agree with you. I don't think they match up well with Houston at all. But if they beat them, I'm not convinced the Yankees are getting past the best of five. I, I'm not completely sold on them. And if that's the case, if Cleveland or Tampa Bay sneaks by, I could see Seattle beating them next thing you know in the World Series. San Diego, good luck beating that top two in the Mets, and then good luck going up against the Dodgers. Oh, and then, by the way, good luck going up against more than likely probably the Braves. Yeah, but I think the Padres could beat the Mets. I don't think the Mariners could beat Houston. I don't know the answer to this question. Has a team ever gone through three 100-win opponents? (laughs) Because that's what the Padres would be tasked potentially with doing. If they were to have to go through the Mets, the Dodgers, and the Braves, they would have to beat three 100-win teams just for the right to play in the World Series, and then if they play against the Astros, they could have to beat four 100-win opponents I don't, to I, win the World Series. I can't imagine that's ever happened before. Yeah, I, was say, I don't think that has been done because I'm trying to... Because it would have to happen since the wild card was in existence because yeah. you'd have to have the four rounds that took place. And typically you only get what? Two teams that finish above the 100 yeah. mark, and then you probably There's didn't see them in the There's only been a few years series. where two teams within a division won 100 games. Um, I've got it... Here last in year, just a moment. Last year was one of them because L.A. and San Francisco finished with 100 plus. This wins. year, last year, 2018, it was the Red Sox and the Yankees. I think that was the year that the Red Sox won the World Series, right? Sounds um, right. 2001, when it was Seattle and Oakland, and then there's only two other years in baseball history. 1993, the NL West, it was Atlanta and San Francisco, and in 1980, in the AL East, the Yankees and the Orioles. Hmm. So. Good luck I, with that. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with the Mariners as well. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. Uh, guys, more likely to happen. The Cardinals win the World Series and Wayno retires on the spot or Wayno retires next season. I'm going to say Wayno retires next season. I think even with his struggles and us thinking that it could be done after this season, I do believe he wants that. 210 and wins. I think he wants that number before he calls it a career, just like, you know, Yachty wanted a certain number. Pujols wanted a certain number. I think Wayno wants it. So even if they win a World Series, I think Wayno looks at it and says, you know what? I, I want that 210. I want 211. So I'm going to say Wayno next year. See, I think I'm going to say more likely that he would retire if they win a World Series because of his struggles that he had at the end. I think the questions will start to weigh on him. Can I do it for another year? And if they win a World Series, he can say, I went out with. Uh, Yadier Molina and Albert Pools. I think he would probably do it then. I, I think that would be the scenario that he retires on the spot. If they end up not winning the World Series, like they get to the World Series and lose, I'm with you. Then I think he probably comes back and tries to chase, chase uh, is it Jesse Haynes he's going after? I think mm-hmm. going after Haynes and going after 200 wins. I think it's more likely that he retires after the season. After um, this season? Mm-hmm. Winning the World Series? Winning the World Series and retires. I'm starting to lean that direction. It's... It's just hard for me to imagine. I I think he would have come back if he had finished the season strong. Like, no doubt about it. I think all of us would be on the same page. He's starting for the Cardinals in the playoffs. He ends up coming back next year no matter what. I I just don't know anymore, man. The the way that he's been talking lately, if it doesn't go well for him in the playoffs or if he's not on their wild card roster, I I think it's totally in play uh, that he ends up 
not coming back next year. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. Uh, guys, more likely to make the NFL playoffs this season. The Cowboys or the Jaguars? That's interesting. Hmm. Even though I'm... I think it's the Jags. See, I think it's the Cowboys because even though I'm all in on the Jags, the Cowboys have an easier path with how bad the NFC is. They're not going to win the division, but I think they could be a wild card team. Uh, I think I'm with Alex. I think I'm going to lean more towards the Cowboys just because that NFC is so weak. I think they can sneak in. I don't. I agree with you. I don't think they're winning the division. I think that's Philly's division to lose. But I think they when they get... Oh, welcome aboard, Dak, buddy. Welcome aboard the Jordan Davis train. Choo-choo. jeez. Oh, uh, but I think when Dak comes back, as we were talking about earlier, I mean, they're already, was it, three and one, and that's with Cooper Rush. When Dak gets back, I think they become even better. And, and as much as I think Jacksonville's got a shot to win that division, I still am going to lean towards Tennessee. I see Jacksonville, Jacksonvilleing this thing up until next year. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. A little bit of news to pass along here. According to multiple reports, Jonathan Taylor officially ruled out. For week five, on, I need to pick up Naeem against the Jaguars. Too late. I already have him in our league. I will be starting Naheem Hines Zeke's this available. week in fantasy I was say, football. Someone's dumb enough to cut Zeke off their can team. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, please, because I've already put waiver. Tanner, can you explain in. to the listeners what you did this morning on waivers yeah, in our yeah, fantasy okay. football so league? In the couple. 101 ESPN league, that Tanner thinks that he's going to dominate yeah, this year, even though he just because, ruined his team. Yeah, he's won four games. Congrats, buddy. I like how you say you ruined my team when I haven't even started Zeke in one week and I'm 4 now. Uh, Zeke's, yeah, Zeke's not been living up to expectations. Tony Pollard's clearly the best running back in Dallas. You know how many points Tony Pollard had last week in fantasy football? You know how many Zeke had? Wasn't a lot either. Tony Pollard had zero. You know how many Zeke had? I don't like because he wasn't in the starting lineup. Hey, that's good enough for flex on my freaking nine. team. He had nine. Hey, better than my freaking flex options that have been so, giving me two. Can I tell you what Tanner's bench is right now? Yeah, go for it. How many quarterbacks does he have on it? Three. He has three yeah. quarterbacks on his team. Hey, you can only use one in our league. You know that, right? He yeah. picked up Devin Duvernay, who yeah. he's not starting. Oh, man. I, How I, many I, points do you think Devin Duvernay is uh, projected to score this week? Six. Six. Six, six points. just got nine, man. <laughs> he, he you up. just dropped an RB1. <laughs> He was in my roster. Oh, He's God. gone. I just, I really, I'm hoping that I can get him. I, and mean, I don't know how I these work. I am being questioned by a guy that is wearing a princess dress and another <laughs> guy that is two and two. You dropped Ezekiel no, that's Elliott. Fair. No, that's fair. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But next, Aaron Judge's home run mark for me is the most impressive of all of the home run marks that we've seen over the last 25 years. We'll explain it next year on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Swung on. There it goes. Deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Number 62 to set the new American League record. Aaron Judge hits his 62nd. All the Yankees out of the dugout to greet him. Just think of it. Three Yankee right fielders. The Babe hitting 60 and 27. The Jolly Roger hitting 61 and 61. And now Aaron Judge 
hits his 62nd home run, the most home runs any American leaguer has hit in a single season. And the American League has been alive for 120 years. This is Judgment Day. Case closed. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was John Sterling's call last night. I think that's an awesome call, first of all, for history as Aaron Judge hit home run number 62, now the American League home run leader. It is also worth noting the seventh greatest single season home run mark. And yes, I do count the other six. Bonds, McGuire, Sosa, McGuire, Sosa, Sosa. Those are all in front of Aaron Judge. That is not to demean anything that Aaron Judge accomplished this year. What he did is simply amazing. He's batting 311. He's leading all of baseball in on-base percentage and slugging percentage. He leads Major League Baseball in home runs, of course, with 62 this season. He has 131 RBIs. And oh, by the way, he's doing this in New York in a contract year. This is one of the more remarkable seasons that I've seen, Alex, in my lifetime. I also think it is more impressive than any of those other six home run marks that I just mentioned. Now, you want to argue Babe Ruth versus this? I'll I'll hear you. They played fewer games. Uh, he basically had more home runs than the rest of the league combined. Like, I, I get it. I'll, I'll listen to that argument. Aaron Judge this year, though. The reason why I think it is more impressive than what Bonds, McGuire, or Sosa did in any of those 98 through 2001 seasons is because these were the league average, batting average and slugging percentage when they did it. In 1998, the league hit a combined 266 that season. The slugging percentage that year was 420. In 1999, the league hit a combined 271 that season. The league average for slugging percentage was 435. And in 2001, when Bonds hit the single-season home run record, the league batting average was 265 with a slugging percentage of 430. In essence, those years, it was somewhere between 265 and 270 in the batting average and somewhere between 420 and 435 on the slugging percentage. Do you know what the league average for batting average is this year? You know, like 230? It's 240. Do you know what the league's slugging percentage is this season? It is 395. That's pretty good. In terms of the OPS, the OPS for the league, the average this year, is like 100 points lower than it was when those guys did it from 98 to 2001. It's just a different era of baseball. The pitching is better. It is harder to hit than it ever has been in the history of baseball before outside of maybe 68, the year of the pitcher. I think what Aaron Judge did this year, Alex, is more impressive than any of those individual accomplishments from 98 to 2001 when it comes to the home runs. That being said, I do still acknowledge those as being the home run leaders. Yeah, I I understand the people that say, oh, he's the true home run king. But for me going through what I went through when I watched the Bonds and I watched the Maguire and Sosa race, like that was still super impressive. And I understand the steroids and everything that comes into that, but it still was done. And, And it's interesting because like I've enjoyed the Aaron judge race and like I've kept close tags on it, but I haven't had the excitement that I had, not just because when McGuire did it, he was a Cardinal, but even watching Sosa chase him that season. But I remember being so excited when bonds did it. I remember watching the bonds because you were a child. Maybe. And maybe that's because I felt the same way. Maybe that's why this one doesn't feel as exciting because I've already lived it and I saw it all happen and think, wow, this is incredible. And shame on me for not enjoying it more because 
this is a really cool feat that Aaron Judge just accomplished. And as you just pointed out with these numbers, it's a lot more impressive than what all of those other players did. But it's still it still doesn't count. It's that first time for most people. It still doesn't count that first time when you see something incredible happen or have something incredible happen to you, you know? Yeah, that experience is a little different the first time around. You know, T Bone, first time for everything, man. It, it means a lot. Yeah, exactly. I I'm truly gonna say that Aaron Judge is the home run king. Like of course to you me, are. of course you are. Get off my the, lawn. You're not alone. I've seen that a lot of places. The, the other guys didn't do it clean, and to your point, and this one doesn't go into just the clean factor of the steroid era, but as you said, it's impressive the fact of that he's doing this against this day and age of pitching. And like, I know that this isn't something that would be pointed out a lot, but look at the division he's done it in too. I mean, the AL East has four really good teams. Baltimore is going to be above 500. They're going to miss the playoffs. Tampa, Toronto are playoff teams that have a legitimate shot to go on a World Series run. He played them most of the year. So I, I think it's been most impressive from Aaron Judge to see. And I think the reason I put it ahead of everybody else is just because so far, as long as we know, it's been clean. And I, and in my opinion, that puts it above everybody else. I, I understand he can't really scrub the record books, but I think you put an asterisk next to it and you just basically say, Aaron Judge the home run king, in my opinion. And then, oh, yeah, also these guys did it when they were using juice to get, get themselves to that level. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We have all of the uh, different people sending in all of the praise from all, cro- all across America from the 585. Hey, Princess Idiot, Judge plays oh. in a tiny ballpark. How many did he get in a real stadium like in St. Louis, for example? Oh. Well... Since you are curious what Aaron Judge has done away from his ballpark this year, he's been better away from Yankee Stadium. I thought he only hit 62, and it was only on home games. Aaron Judge has hit 32 away home runs this year, including the one that, by the way, he hit last night down in Texas, which is a a large ballpark. He has hit on the road 313 when he hit 305 at home. His slugging percentage on the road is 708. At home this year, it's 665. I don't want to hear anything about where Aaron Judge plays. By the way, yeah, he's a princess. right-handed hitter. The the lefties are the ones that actually really benefit, benefit from Carpenter? playing at Yankee Stadium. So, oh. no, I, I don't want to hear any of that. And, oh, by the way, he's also had the most no-doubters of any player in baseball this year. This is not about him playing in a small ballpark. It's about Aaron Judge being unbelievably gifted at hitting the baseball really hard, harder than anybody that we've seen in recent years. I also want to add this. I heard Tim McKernan talking about this earlier today, and his take was similar to yours, Alex, where he said it, it doesn't have the same juice this time around, no pun intended, there was as pun. it did in the early 2000s. There was pun. I, I think that some of the pushback that we are seeing to this home run chase from Aaron Judge is twofold. One, it's not the major league record, it's the American league record. I think there's part of that. And two, I think it's because there's social media now. And so you get to see the reaction from everybody nationwide when people are pissed that their team's college football game is being broke into on ESPN because they're showing you an Aaron Judge at bat. I think that's awesome what they did. I I think that baseball needed something like this. If we're going to be over here and get upset about their lack of... Um, publicizing the cool stuff that's taking place in baseball. We can't also criticize them when they do something like saying, hey, ESPN, when we have an unbelievable historic achievement that is potentially taking place, could you please carry his at-bats live so the most number of people possible can watch this achievement take place live? I'm not going to get mad at baseball or ESPN for carrying that. I think it's awesome that they were able to do that. And oh, by the way, I say that as somebody that was frustrated that they were breaking into it during the Missouri football game. I think both of those things can take place simultaneously. I mean, I get it, and I understand the frustration. It's the same people that get frustrated when, you know, the the weather tornado warnings get uh, interrupted 
interrupting yeah. something on the news that you're, or the television that you're watching. I like, when that I, I mean, everyone, somebody's going to get upset about it, but in any other circumstance, it's like when you're on social media and you're watching something and you see, like, oh, he's got a no-hitter going through eight innings. You turn to that station immediately because you want to watch it. MLB Network, that's what baseball is for, right? But ESPN is covering that stuff. I mean, I personally enjoy that, and I would imagine, like you just said, BK, if, if that stuff was around when McGuire was doing this and Sosa was doing this, you'd be having tons of breaking into programming because those two were doing something that everyone wanted to pay close attention to. Yeah, I, was say, I don't have much of an issue with it. I, I think the bigger issue, though, was when it came in and it was like a game that's close. Like, the reason I mentioned the Tulane was because I saw them tweet out, hey, ESPN, do you mind? Because it was the last two minutes of a football game, and people that are watching that game between Tulane and Houston are wanting to watch football over Major League Baseball. It's not like they took it off the screen, though. Yeah, I, I get say, it, but it's, it's annoying screen. to see it split screen. Like I, I understand that side of it, but I think it was good for baseball to get that opportunity to have it out there because I was, st- I'll be honest, the first time that I saw it was when I was watching, I think Mizzou was playing uh, Auburn, yep. and, and it popped up, and I was like, whoa, I I am stunned that ESPN is doing this because ESPN, sure, they have coverage of Major League Baseball, but it's not their number one driver. Their number one drivers are football and basketball. So they're cutting into a football game to do it. Show me, hey, you know what? Baseball is actually starting to get back into this national stage, and they want to show this Aaron Judge and this record that's potentially out there for the AL. So I thought it was cool, but I do understand the argument if it's a game that's close and they decide to cut then. I think, like at that point, just record it, quote-unquote record it, and then break in once the game is over at that point. They say, okay, here's what Aaron just did in his last at-bat. I think that's how they should have handled it. Somebody on the text line said they did not break in for Albert Pujols when he hit 700 home run. That is what bothers me. I I totally think that's a reasonable response. And by the way, they never really had a chance to do so because down the stretch, he never got to 699, and then we were waiting on 700. And he got 698, hit 699 and 700 in the same night on a Friday. On Apple the TV. The night before they started breaking in to college football games on ESPN for Aaron Judge. So would they have treated it the same way? I don't know. I think a big part of this is that Aaron Judge plays for the Yankees in New York. If he had this exact same accomplishment in Cleveland or in Kansas City, would it have been treated the same way? Probably not. But I'm not going to knock them for putting a guy on national television on a Saturday in the morning or the afternoon, whatever it was, because I think it's pretty cool that they did that. I think that they should treat more like that. I think that it's not so much for me, wait, why did they do that with Aaron Judge when they didn't with Albert? It's why didn't they do that with Albert when they did it with Aaron Judge? I think they should have done it probably for both if they had the ability to do so. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we will dive into a national analyst who said he is bullish on the Blues. One of his bold predictions going into the 2022 season is that the Blues will go over their points total. Talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. The juncture of those coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the junk drawer. But before we do that, we did get a text. Somebody said, hey, BK, why don't you go ahead and grab a sign and go to the street corner, get ahead of the punishment for next week. You're already halfway there. Of course, referring to our punishment where you have to go stand on Olive in a princess dress or costume of the other. Yours is Pinocchio. Yeah. Uh, Costume of the other people's choosing. And... 
you have a sign that says, I suck at making football picks for an hour. Should we just go ahead and repurpose this dress for whoever loses that one? Like if it's you, Tanner, or you, Alex, do you guys have to wear this dress next time around? I want him to be Mario. (laughs) I'm already growing the mustache, so I'm waiting for it to happen. I thought I, I was going to be a garden honestly, I think Tanner I, needs to be a garden gnome. Yeah, absolutely. I thought I was being a garden Or gnome. we make him a uh, seven dwarf. <laughs> we have both of you stand up there. That would be amazing. If we tied, that's the week where we just got to say, you know what? Let we, it be. Uh, we got to both do that. There's no voting going into that one if you guys tie. I don't think people are going to vote for me to do the street corner. I think people are going to vote if I lose. I think You're going to be the one that's got Carrie yelling I think at so. I think, I'm, I think me or Tanner, if we lose, we're going to get Carrie yelling at us, pushing the football. I, I know, the I way. cry. Tanner, what do you have for us today in the junk drawer, buddy? Have you guys seen this video going around uh, about with the pizza delivery man? No. Ooh. This could do a lot of different I ways, say, I like so pizza deliveries. There's a pizza delivery man, and this video, I believe, is based out of Russia. So he pulls up. He's got, like, a little case, like, that keeps the pizza warm. So he unzips. He grabs the pizza, knocks on the door. He unzips what? A case. Hmm. That it's holding? Pizza. Oh, okay. Like a little oven. And he knocks on the door. And the door opens, and a chimpanzee dressed up as a person in jeans has got, like, a high school, like, letterman jacket on, and it hands the pizza man the money, takes the pizza, and then just walks back into the apartment complex. What? (laughs) Okay, I got a lot of questions. And, like, the pizza man, when the monkey comes out, like, takes four steps back, but then doesn't question it and just hands him the pizza and takes the money. Yeah. Did the monkey Did the monkey call? I don't know. I, he definitely is not. He's definitely not the only one in there because the door closes and he never touches the door. But so, was there another monkey my in there that closed the door? That's a fair question. How many okay, monkeys I'm watching are in this there? video right now? Oh, there's a video. Yeah. yeah. So this gentleman, the pizza delivery guy, opens up. Looks he's like it's got a college a massive, dorm room. a massive bag yeah. with oh. all of these. And he unzipped that massive bag for the pizza with all these pizza boxes in there. Jesus. It is definitely like a chimpanzee. Yeah. I dressed don't blame up the as a college student. I don't blame the guy for jumping though. The chimpanzee walks back in. Oh, that's he's ready up. to go. That's messed up. There's no way this is real, that right? This is definitely me. fake. That, that would, would no, I don't me. think so. I think that's, that's a real video. I think somebody's got a pet chimpanzee, and they said yeah. we're gonna we're gonna mess with this guy. I, I can love you it. have a pet chimpanzee? I, not getting geo what the rules are in Russia right here, but I don't know here. Probably not. Hmm. Let's find out. Chimpanzee in. What do you do if you're that guy? Is that the correct response? Where you just Back up a little bit, make sure everything's cool, and then hand the chimpanzee the pizza? No yeah. laws prohibiting exotic pets in Russia. Okay, that checks out. There you go. Huh. Yeah, I, I think you just hand him the pizza. I don't, I'd be more afraid if I ran with the pizza. I think it's cool. It's like uh, yeah, Planet of the Apes. Cool. I think it's cool until the, the chimpanzee gets pissed off and bashes well, somebody's why, head in. That's why you're giving him the pizza. Yeah, he's, he's, it's like the Snickers commercial. for it. Yeah. He's getting hungry. You don't want him to get hungry. Yeah. Give him the pizza, man. Just have a, I don't even know what Can pizza Can you imagine is. if during Whatever. your college experience at <laughs> Lindenwood, in your dorm, we've you were done, going next we've door. We've done crazy things. What's your that. favorite memory from going to Lindenwood? Oh, the time that I delivered a pizza <laughs> yeah. and the monkey opened if the door. I, if I'm that pizza company, whoever they were, my new slogan is, ordering pizza with, with us is so easy, a monkey can do it. A chimpanzee can do it. Yep. That that would be a commercial for me. Actually, that's really good. That's genius. That's good marketing. That's right genius. There. That man might have just saved that company's business. Coming up in 15 minutes, could Wilson Contreras? This is a good junk drawer story, T Bone. Be the next Cardinals catcher. At least I watched the video before I did it. Well, it's sounding more and more likely. We'll give you the latest report coming out of Chicago next.
Excuse me, at 115. But next, <laughs> next, a national analyst is actually bullish on the Blues. We'll tell you why coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. nationally that's actually in on your st louis blues with alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley it's bk and ferrario here on 101 ESPN. somebody there's plenty of people that are high on the blues i don't think that's true nationally locally absolutely locally people like this team but nationally i think the the conversation is pretty simple nationally they lost david perron they lost the guy that stole them the season last year in the regular season, Ville Husso. How is this team going to be able to make up for those two losses? It's going to be tough for them. They're probably going to finish like fourth or fifth in the Western or in the Central Division. I think that's kind of where most people are nationally. You think that's fair? Yeah, I think so. I think those are the two points that people are going to judge this Blues team and also losing Jim Montgomery. I think people are, are going to talk about that if the penalty kill doesn't live up to the expectations. Yeah, I think it's it's threefold. Special teams, pa- penalty kill because of Montgomery, power play because of the David Perron loss, and then, and goal then the goaltending issue. Th- those are the three issues that most people are going to point to. Well, over today on Daily Faceoff, our buddy, our friend, I would call him that, Frank Saravalli, he's only been on the show once, but I, I would consider him to be a friend of the show. He was on the show once? <laughs> Way back in the day. I think it was, was Ribs and BK. <laughs> Man. He said one of his bold predictions for the season is for the St. Louis Blues to go over 95 and a half points. He said, quote, usually when I see a line that doesn't make sense, I ask what odds makers know that I do not. This one, though, I can't figure out for the life of me. The Blues had 109 points last year. Does anyone see a, a 14-point regression coming? Because I surely do not. Again, that comes from Frank Saravalli over on the Daily Faceoff. Alex, the... The over-under number is 95 and a half, so it's a little higher than what I'm about to say. But do you know how many times out of the last 11 seasons, this goes back to 2012, and this includes the shortened season, but I'm projecting forward based on the points total, the points percentage. How many times the Blues went under 94 points in the last 11 years? 94 is the number. Out of 11, how many times do you think they went under that? Um, I would say they only missed the playoffs twice. I would say twice. No, because even when they lost, missed the playoffs, I would say once. I'm going to go, I'll say twice. I think twice sounds about right. It's twice. It's the shortened 2020-2021 season, and then in 2012-2013. Now, they made the playoffs in both of those seasons. The Hmm. one time, actually, that they missed the playoffs since 2012 was 2018. That team did get to 94 points, but they finished fifth in the division the yeah, that Blues, was the final game of the season against Colorado. The Blues have been in the top three of the Central Division every year over the last 11 other than 2018, again, when they missed the playoffs, and in 2020-21, where they were fourth. The Blues have been a top four team in this division basically every season in recent memory under Doug Armstrong. I think that's going to happen again this year. I Am I lower on the team going into the season than I was last year? Yeah. Am I also still higher on them relative to the Central Division? I am. I think I would also take the over on the 95 and a half points. Alex, I know you agree on this. Tanner, let's come to you first because I think that you might play the devil's advocate here. Are you on the under on this? I think they could finish around that 95 point mark. So I I think if you said take the over or the under, I 
would really consider the under. I, I think the points that you made about the national perspective of losing Perron, how that impacts the power play, losing who so what are you going to get from Jordan Bennington? Is Jordan Kyra going to give you a full season? Do you have the kind of production that you had last year where you had nine twenty goal scores? I just, to me, those are big question marks. And I think if some of those don't end up, you don't find the person that fills Perron's role. Grice isn't the backup that pushes Bennington and Bennington struggles in the regular season. I think it's possible this team could be around that 95-point mark, and that that may not be good enough to make the playoffs. I'm looking at the standings from last year, and 97 was what it took to get in. And I think it's probably going to be around that mark this year. And I think if these question marks that are going into the season, if they don't find answers to them, I think they finish right around where Vegas and Vancouver were last year, below the 95-point threat. Would I lean towards taking the over? I would, but I I wouldn't be stunned if they end up hitting the under. Like, I think there's a chance that they could be under that 95.5-point threshold this season. I don't think there's a chance at all that they're below that 95. In fact, I think they're closer to 98 to 100 points this season once again. And, of course, I'm going to be the one that's bullish on this team. You know, you're the homer. But here's the thing. Offensively, it it, it could be a dip-off. But I also feel like... A healthy Braden Chen. Braden Chen made a play last night that showcased what he is when he doesn't have to deal with three fractured ribs. Um, You're going to have more contributions from the fourth line now, and I think you've got more depth in terms of guys who can score goals. The power play still looks really good. Defensively, I think this team is going to be better this season, and I know nobody agrees with me on this, but I think having Letty, Pareko, Krug, and Falk, if they stay healthy, that consistency is going to benefit this team. Wait, nobody... People don't agree with that. I, I've, I've heard a ton of people that think defensively is not going to be good because Nick Letty is going to be getting a extended role with the team this season. Oh, I think it'll be better than it was last. Year. I think it's hard to argue against that. I mean, last year for the first, what, 60 games of the season, 50 games of the season, you had some combination of Marco Scandella and Nico Mikola yep. playing top four minutes defensively for you. And this year you have Nick Letty. Like, I, I Nick get Letty's it. just objectively a better player than those guys. Absolutely. And I say that as somebody who's a little concerned about the Nick Letty deal in the final couple of years. I just think people, I've, I've heard from a lot of people saying that like this defense isn't good enough. They've lost now Perunovic and Scandella. They're not deep enough. I don't agree with that. I think this defense will be really good this season. And I'm very high on the goaltending. And again, of course, me, the Jordan Bennington guy, but JR and I were talking last Last night watching the game and in the first period I think he had eight shots from uh, Minnesota and I know it wasn't the high danger players that like the Caprice offs and all those guys but I leaned over to JR and I said he looks like he's ready for the regular season and JR said I think he's going to have a big year and I agreed with him I think you're going to be looking at a not worried about the backup goaltender as much because Jordan Bennington knows like this is his team. Thomas Grice will contribute, but I think you're going to have a big year from Jordan Bennington. So I would I would lean towards saying this team is going to be a 98 to 100 point team once again. So I'm kind of there with you, Alex, but it's actually more because of Thomas Grice than Jordan Bennington. Whoa, boy, I boy, you are excited. I don't think that I'm expecting too much out of Thomas Grice. Prior to last season, Thomas Grice's last six years as an NHL goalie, he was right around a 9.15 save percentage and a 2.7 goals against on average. Now, even if you get rid of a couple of seasons there at the back end of that and you just go the last four years, he's at a 9.12 save percentage and a 2.8 goals against on average. Thomas Grice is a perfectly adequate goalie. Now, he's not the guy you want as your starter. If that's your starting goalie, like you've probably got some problems. But as a backup, I think he's going to start 35 games for the Blues this year. 
And if he picks you up, like what, 10 to 15 wins? Probably 15 I'd wins. I would say those? 15, yeah. You feel fine about that. Just keep us afloat when he's out there. And I don't think that's a massive drop-off from what they expected out of Ile Husso last year. I think Husso was put into a really tough situation because of the defense that you're talking about, Alex, that you referenced earlier. You know what Ville Husso's save percentage was last year? On the season, for the regular season. 93, 94? Tanner? That was high. 927, maybe? 919. Hmm. It wasn't as high as we sometimes make it out to be. The problem was he had so many damn saves because they were giving up so many shots early on in the season when they didn't have a good defensive core. So if you go from a 919 save percentage from Ville Husso last year to a 915-ish, somewhere around there, with Thomas Grice, you'll be fine. This team's going to be all right. I don't think that the drop-off is nearly as big as a lot of people are indicating. Now, the upside I don't think is as high with Grice. You're not going to get some of those shutout performances that you got last year out of Ville Husso. But I think when it comes out in the wash, you're going to be fine with that guy as your backup goalie. So, for example, when I look over at ESPN.com and they have their best goalie tandems in the NHL, they had the Blues at 21st. I think they're going to finish higher than that this season. Not because I'm expecting a big regular season out of Jordan Bennington. I've kind of punted on that. I think Bennington's just a fine regular season goalie and a great postseason goalie. I think it's because I expect more out of Thomas Grice than what they are nationally. Well, people are forgetting that Thomas Grice did win the Jennings Trophy with Robin Leonard a few years ago in the New York Islanders, um, which is the best goaltending tandem in the National Hockey League. That was the same year that Leonard won the Vezina Trophy. So he's a very good backup goaltender. If there's one thing that I'm never concerned about, it's the Blues going out there and finding a capable backup goaltender to play. It just comes down to Jordan Bennington. And I get Greg Wyshynski having him at 21 is because he's not excited about Jordan Bennington. And Bennington has not proved himself in the regular season the last three seasons. But I also think the last three seasons, to go back to Jeremy Rutherford's article, was trying to figure out how to find that right mindset and, you know, you had the one year where Jake Allen was still there. And then you've got Ville Husso pushing for the opportunity to start. This is his moment to say, like, no, I am the number one goaltender and I am playing 50 to 55 games this season. If he gets that, I I personally believe Jordan Bennington is going to have a big year, which is part of the reason why I'm very I'm expecting somewhere between 98 and 100 points for this and team. And, man, even if he doesn't, because I'm not. I'm not expecting him to have a huge season. I think that he's going to be perfectly adequate. I think he's going to be uh, middle of the pack starting goalie, maybe 20th best goalie in the NHL this year. And he's going to start, like, 45 games for the Blues. So you get, like, 45 out of him, 35 for Grice, I think is probably the, the ideal scenario for the Blues. I, I think that's fine. As long as Jordan Bennington continues stepping it up in the playoffs, I really don't care if he's a great goalie in the regular season. Yeah. It just it doesn't matter that much to me. Step up when it's the most important time of the year. If that dude can just get himself mentally prepared for 25 games and 20 of those games happen to come in the playoffs, that's what matters to me. And it seems like he's the kind of guy who can get himself right by the time that you get to the playoffs. I questioned last year. Can Jordan Bennington really flip the switch when we get to the playoffs? The answer was yes. So I, I expect at this point that he's going to be able to do it again because outside of the weird pandemic uh, bubble scenario, every time he's made the playoffs, he's been able to find a way to flip that switch on. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why I'm looking forward to him in the regular season because I don't think he just flipped that switch because it was the playoffs. I think he flipped that switch because he found 
the way to motivate himself as Jeremy Rutherford had in his article. And again, I understand it's preseason. You have to preface it that way every single time. But from what we've seen in three games, I wrote that down last night. So three games that we have seen Bennington, he stopped 38 of 40 shots. He just looks locked in and it's going to come down to how you perform in the regular season to be a wildcard team, to be a top division team or somewhere in between. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to Chris Kerber about all of this and the Jake Neighbors, Josh Levo, Clem Costin roster spots that are a battle right now. We'll do that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, I'll give you the latest on the Cardinals' decisions with the roster. They have officially activated Jordan Hicks and Matthew Libertor. I'll tell you who they sent down to as the corresponding moves. These two individuals will not be eligible in the next 15 days for the Cardinals in the playoffs. Tell you that coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Roster decisions are getting interesting, intriguing as well. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We'll be joined by Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, in about 15 minutes. The Cardinals have officially made their roster decisions by activating Jordan Hicks and Matthew Libertor. Those are significant because when they activated them, they had to decide who to option down. And when they option these players, the roster rules for the postseason are that they are not eligible for the next 15 days, regardless of when the series starts. So these players will not be eligible for the Cardinals in the wildcard round or the NLDS at a minimum. The players that the Cardinals decided to option are Dakota Hudson and Jojo Romero. Those were the guys that we all thought that they should option down. We were worried it was going to be somebody else, but I think that makes sense. You bring up Hicks and Matthew Libertor, you send down Hudson and Romero. Now, Libertor, I think, is just for today. I think this is a case where the Cardinals needed innings, so you'll probably see some combination of Libertor, Woodford, and Hicks today to be able to cover this game so they're fresh going into the wild card round. Let's react to this first, then we'll kind of project forward from there. Alex, what do you think about Hudson and Romero being the ones that they decided to send out? It made sense. I just, Romero, it felt like he had no role on this team, and it really comes down to if Zach Thompson's making the playoff roster or not making the playoff roster, but that's kind of irregardless because you've got two lefties that if they're not starting for you, which Matt's won't be in Montgomery, I don't expect to, there are options coming out of the bullpen for you. Dakota Hudson's the interesting one, but whatever happened in that Pirates game last night showed Ollie that they just can't trust Dakota Hudson. And in a playoff game, I, you know, when you get a guy who's a ground ball pitcher, maybe you can trust him for one inning, but you're not going to put yourself in that bad situation. So there were just no spots for them on the roster, and I understand it. Yeah, and I, I think these moves make sense because now you have at least Woodford that's still in your bullpen, and if you decide, you know what, we want to carry another righty in the bullpen, and at least Woodford's got maybe a little bit more upside when he comes out of the pen compared to Adam Wainwright, and you want to save Wainwright for the DS to start game one, now you don't have to have that 15-day buffer. So you just hold on to Woodford another day, and then you can make the decision whether or not you want to go with Woodford or Wayno. But, I mean, I think JoJo Romero had gone through his struggles. You saw him struggle uh, the last month or so, so you decided not to carry him, and I think that makes sense. And then same with Hudson. I think Hudson had a shot to make the postseason roster last night, but then after that rough outing, I think they just said, you know what, it's not going to be there for him. I, I would be stunned if Dakota Hudson makes any postseason roster moving forward. I think so, too. Uh, now we project forward, and this is where it gets a little difficult. I have right now 
10 locks for my playoff pitching staff. This includes the three starters that we're all projecting at this point, I think. Quintana, Montgomery, and Michaelis. You guys agree with those three as your starting pitchers, not necessarily in that order, but in the wild card round. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Relievers, guys that I think are locks for your wild card round roster. Jack Flaherty, do you go ahead and say yes or no if you agree with these as we go along here. Jack Flaherty. Yeah, yeah I agree. Gallegos. Yeah. Helsley. Yeah. Palante. Yeah. Hicks. Yeah. Mats. Yeah. Those are the locks. That's nine. You now have three. I think that's. Was that 10? Did, did I count four, wrong? Five, six. That's nine guys. Yeah. Okay. So nine guys that are locks for your playoff roster. Other player that you could have as a lock, Stratton. Do you guys think that Chris Stratton is a lock for the playoff roster? I think he's in. I, I think he's in your bullpen. I think so. I don't. I personally don't know if it's a lock, but I don't. I don't know if the other options trump him. So yeah, I'll say he's probably in. So that's ten. All of these other guys are battling for, I believe, two spots because with not having Tyler O'Neill, I think you're going to be carrying an extra bat to be able to make up for the fact that you're probably going to have to make some late game adjustments defensively in the outfield while Juan Yepes is out there. So you're going to have Delugio. I think you're going to have Burleson on your playoff roster as a result. So you've got two more spots remaining between Woodford, Wayno, Thompson, and Cabrera. Only reason I even bring up Cabrera's name because I wouldn't have had him on this list prior. John Denton just tweeted out that Hennessy Cabrera is confident he's going to be on the Cardinals playoff roster for the wildcard series. He will be used to combat the Phillies left-handed bats. He's had a leg injury and his midseason illness sapped his velocity and he is back in the 96 to 98 range now. Again, that comes from John Denton of MLB.com. Good work by him is for that, getting that quote. Is that Hennessy's being optimistic or is that Hennessy's being told that he's going to be on that roster? Guys don't typically have that kind of confidence when speaking unless they Ugh. have heard something. I just don't know. I, I don't feel like I trust that. If, if that ends up being the case, if you believe that Cabrera is a lock, which that certainly sounds like well, he then is. Thompson's not making this roster. It's Woodford, Wayno, or Thompson as your final spot on the roster. I don't think Thompson's making that roster. And honestly, I'm not sold that Montgomery is going to start because I wonder if they're going to go with Wayno. I wonder if they go Wayno in a game three situation. Oh. Like, I think Wayno's got that I, last I spot. think it's Montgomery. Based on the things that we have heard from people that cover the team, like, we know how Ollie operates, and sometimes he'll give you nuggets off the record of not, like, this is exactly what our plans are. I'm going to give you all of the organizational information. That's not how it works. But That'd be great. sometimes you can get information behind the scenes on what, what the team is expecting. And based on the things that you're reading kind of between the lines from Derek Gould's reporting, John Denton's reporting, Katie's as well, I think Montgomery is the plan to start game three right now. I actually think it's possible that Quintana starts game one. I think they might go Quintana game one, Michaelis game two, and Montgomery game three to split up the left-handed starters. I, if they don't take Thompson on their playoff roster in this wild card round, when you need a lefty, but I think that's what Cabrera is doing. I think Cabrera is. I the just Thompson. don't understand how you can have more confidence in Cabrera going into this series than you would in Thompson. And, and I, I might just end up being wrong on Thompson because it's at every turn the organization has shown us what their actions, what they think about him, and it is that they don't trust this guy in big spots. I just disagree with that. I, I think that it's frankly wrong from my perspective of what we've seen and I don't understand it either I, I think if you carry Cabrera you're carrying Wayno, and I think part of the reason you carry Cabrera now look they've got more numbers than what Absolutely. I have available in front of me and they're I probably agree. going off the spin rate and if his velo is back they're going to find that encouraging because in his last 
appearance that Cabrera had in a game in Memphis. One inning, six hits, five runs, all earned, one strikeout, but he didn't walk anybody. And then I look back at his previous outings, five and a third innings pitch, no walks, six strikeouts. So he may have found something, and they may just view that as, okay, he just got hit maybe with some soft contact, or it was just one of those days where he got roughed up. And if that's the case, they may say, you know what, we think Cabrera is back. We think he's found where maybe the leg issue and the sickness was the problem. We think he's back, and we'll carry a guy with experience. Danny Mac mentioned it yesterday that would you you asked him, would you start Thompson as an opener? And he said probably not because of just the lack of experience in playoffs is different. If they're doing that, I think that if it's a tie between their thoughts between Thompson and Cabrera, I think they're leading towards postseason experience. Well, what experience. about Thompson versus Wayno? What's I think the argument lean, in favor of I Wayno? I think the lane lean towards the uh, postseason I'm experience. not disagreeing with you there, but what's outside of just the fact that he's been there before? I think it's knowing that he can take his game to a level even if he doesn't have his best stuff. But he hasn't. He hasn't done that. Well, I mean, it's I don't been think, six weeks. I don't think there's an argument besides postseason experience for like, I agree. If you're telling me, If you're telling me Wayno or Woodford... Which I think, if you're ter- carrying Cabrera, I-, I think Thompson's out because Cabrera is Thompson's spot, and then it comes down to Wayno or but Woodford. I don't necessarily know that that's the case because if you take out Thompson, your only left-handed relievers. Now I know that Palante projects as basically being a lefty, he throws with his right hand, but he gets lefties out. But those are three guys. I-, I think that your only guys are Mats, Cabrera, and Palante at that point that get out lefties. I I would want to keep Thompson. I just because you've got Flaherty, Gallegos, uh, Helsley, Hicks, and Stratton that can get out righties. So that's what six righties, five righties, five righties that get out righties, and then you've got Palante as well. I, I think that's plenty. Out. I think that that's that's I plenty think, for you. And then you also like Cabrera when he's at his best, and if they believe that he is, he can also get out right-handed hitters. So you shouldn't necessarily use him as a quote-unquote lefty, like a loogie type of a player. Uh, and Matt's is the same way. I don't know. Yeah, I just I I think when you look at it, it's gonna they're gonna go to Wayno, uh, and that's where I think I've officially come down to. Even if you don't know what his role is, it's Man. going to be Wayno's on this roster. And, and the reason I say that is, and I know that like I think I mentioned this when Ollie said it after his last start, and I think we said, well, that could just be them saying it. Ollie said something like, I I think that he's a guy that could bring his game up to the level once to get to the postseason. I know he probably has to say that, but like. I think him saying that tells me that they believe in that, and they seem to lean on veterans every now and then, like this Cabrera thing that's been brought up. That sounds like Cabrera's on the postseason roster for a guy that hasn't pitched in the big leagues since August 26th. But here, here's what's frustrating to me. Because I think Ollie has done an awesome job managing this team all year. I think he sent all of the right messages. I think this team has been well-managed from start to finish. And I think early on, one of the things that he did was he announced his presence, he announced that the team was going in a new direction in terms of performance mattering, performance dictating decisions. When they decided to send down Paul DeYoung, when they decided to option, uh, or really release outright, um, what's his face? I forget his name now. Wickren. Wickren. They decided to let go of TJ McFarland. They, They have made moves this year that were dictated by performance almost every single time. And the one guy that that doesn't seem to apply to, and I can't explain it, is Zach Thompson. Because since he has been back in the big leagues, he has thrown 12 and two-thirds innings, and he has allowed two earned runs. He has in that stretch a 1.4 ERA, and opposing hitters are batting 135 against them. Now, I understand there are also underlying numbers that they're probably looking at there that say, hey, he's gotten a little lucky. He's allowed 13 base runners in his last 12 and two-thirds innings. 
Seven of those have come by form of walk, and that's not sustainable. He's going to eventually, some of those hits that didn't go down, he's got a 155 batting average on balls in play. That's going to regress once we get into the playoffs, and he's going to get hurt by the the balls that go into play. He doesn't have as much swing and miss stuff as you're giving him credit for. I don't know, man. I, I hear you, but if the other option, the alternative here is like we're going with Woodford or Wayno. I, I can't make the argument based on performance that either of those guys has earned it more than Zach Thompson has. And so I think that's kind of two separate messages of, hey, performance is going to dictate our decisions. And then performance did not in the most important setting dictate any of those decisions. I think it, or at least this one. I think it comes down to it's like you ask yourself, do I feel like when do I feel comfortable to use Zach Thompson? I understand he's pitched well, but in a postseason where every pitch matters, do you feel comfortable in a tight spot going to him first or are you going to go to other options? And I think they just feel more comfortable going to other options. I guess that ends up being the case. It, I'm really surprised uh, if that ends up being the case. Now, it's possible. This doesn't go in this direction, and Wayno's either Wayno or maybe it's Chris Stratton. Stratton ends up getting left off the roster, and they've decided to go Thompson over him. <sighs> he did pitch forty. He, he threw forty pitches last night. He'll be fine. Which maybe is maybe a Hudson will be back. Maybe Hudson will be back. Maybe this is just all fake. This is as this is as compelling as I've seen the Cardinals' roster decisions going into the playoffs in like ten years. I mean, it, 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 there are real decisions that have to be made going into the playoffs, and this is what you wanted. You've got options yeah. if you're Ollie Marmel. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind, including probably a lineup game. We'll see. That's coming up in 15 that? minutes. But coming up next, could Wilson could – nope. Coming up next, Chris Carver, the voice of the Blues, here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for Curbside. He shoots, they score! With the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. They score! Bring out the Zamboni! Refreshed by Randall's, St. Louis's num liquor store. Visit shoprandalls.com. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by the voice of the Blues. He's Chris Kerber classing up this joint as I am wearing a Disney princess dress and red fuzzy handcuffs. Chris, we appreciate the time as always. I've never called you Chris before. How you doing, Kerbs? Uncomfortable. Uh, I'm doing fine. And uh, whoever put the picture out of you and Snow White's outfit should be punished for themselves because that's something I'm never going to get out of my head. Curbs, you're never going to get out of your head. You're looking at a picture. We've had to stare at it for three and a half hours, and we got to watch it even be longer. Honest, guys, I think I've pulled this off pretty well. I haven't made eye contact with yeah. for three I mean, hours. We started the uh, show, yeah, Curbs. Uh, holy moly, that's uh, yeah, that that was stunning. No, I guess that we could leave it at that. I right? just I didn't know Disney princesses were that hairy. I didn't know they were into handcuffs. Well, <laughs> we watched different pr- yeah, Disney princess say, movies. That's after the yeah, Disney movies. Apparently there's a different channel. Yeah, this is called After Dark. <laughs> this, is the, this is the HBO version of Disney princesses. <laughs> yeah. He just no waved, he just waved to John Kioski, Curbs, so it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> My boss is proud. Uh, Curbs, let's, too. Let, let's talk a little bit about this Blues team and what you saw last night in the preseason game. <laughs> Alex texted us during the game and said, hey, guys, I think that Josh Levo and Jake Neighbors feel like locks on the roster right now, given what they've how they performed so far in the preseason. What have you seen from those two in particular? Well, I, I've, I've seen really good play. Uh, you know, Josh Levo, who 
uh, has has spent some time. You know, he's been a full time NHLer and then kind of split some time between the AHL and the NHL. He knows he knows what he needs to do. Um, the injury to, to Tyler Pitlick, uh, the injury to Logan Brown, opened the door for him to get another game in there. And I thought he did really well. And the opportunity that came for him yesterday was to play on a line with Braden Shen and Jake Neighbors. And my goodness, dude, if, you, if you're a player trying to make a team out of camp, I don't think you could ask for more than that. And and I thought he looked really, really good. Um, the, the Jake Neighbors side of things, you know, Jake has done everything that he could. I think he's been one of the most physical forwards in camp. I think he's made a lot of smart plays. Uh, I, I think he looks good with just about everybody he's been put with. The the question is, and I go back to something Larry Plo always talked about when he was general manager of the team, and that was asset management. And there's one specific story that I remember because it was one of the early ones that he brought it up to me. But the Blues, uh, Matt, Matt Walker was playing really well for the St. Louis Blues and, and looked like he was, you know, should play. And, and he could play every day in the NHL. They sent him down to Worcester. And the reason that they ended up doing it was just asset management. He was the one that could clear waivers. The other people uh, they had would have had to clear waivers and he wanted to protect some depth. The the only thing that jumps out at me right now, and, and there's two schools of thought here, is if the guy's good enough to play, you play, you deal with it, and you go. The other school of thought is uh, there's no harm with Jake Neighbors playing in Springfield for a little while and it protects your depth while you start the season if it allows you, you to keep a Costin, a, neighbor, a, a Levo, a Pitlick, whoever it might be that has uh, the necessity to clear waivers. So, you know, that's the one storyline that uh, I think Jake Neighbors has done everything he does and needs to do to stay here. But numbers could also dictate that protecting some death means he's the guy that goes. And so um, we'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. But he he's looked really good, and, and you hope that he does stay. Well, and that's that's the conversation that Joe and I had on postgame last night. Curbs was talking about that asset management. And he also, I mean, Joey also mentioned, like, look, Clem Costin had his best game of the preseason last night for the team, which more than likely earned him another opportunity uh, tomorrow night against Columbus. And if he plays well, earns another opportunity on Saturday. Did Clem Costin put his name back into the conversation with that performance last night? Well, I don't know if he did it with that performance last night. I would think that maybe you send him to Columbus tomorrow. Um, and, you know, the, the team called up five players from Springfield already. That happens at the end of camp, you know, where you want, one, you want to get the numbers out, right, so you can get your some some of your practices to a, to a normal level. But then you've got one of these last two preseason games, and you don't want to travel a bunch of your vets. So I, I would think that the five players that the Blues called up are going to travel to Columbus tomorrow. Uh, and and probably Clint Costin goes with him, and and so if that's the case, you know I I think he's got to show that he wants to that he can do it a couple of games in a row. He's got the skill set. It's just it's just as he and I talked to Ivan Barbashev about this last year for a little while. Here's a guy that scored in, in Barbashev 99 points his last year a junior before turning pro, and he's never really been used in an offensive role in pro hockey, and yet every opportunity he got. Playing on the first line, for example, uh, you know, several years ago against Minnesota when Paul Stastny was hurt and, and performed well. Every time he's gotten the opportunity, he's performed well, and then he finally really jumped through that hoop net last season. Clint Costin has to define in his head the type of player the Blues want him to be and whether or not he wants to be that player. Can he be that player? Is he willing to accept the fact that he is a third or a fourth line player that needs to play with a little more physical edge? you know, that needs to have, you know, put certain things in play. Get the puck in deep. Don't make mistakes rather than try to score every shift. And to me, 
uh, and, and then score when the opportunity is there. And if that's the case, he's a guy that definitely could probably get you 10 goals over the course of the year. But at the same time, the only way he stays is if he's willing to play and earn the trust of that coach. So there's, there are still some question marks around him, I think. Yeah, Curbs, even when he was trying to be the other kind of player last year, though, in the AHL, and then you combine that with what he did in the NHL, he, he wasn't scoring either, though. And that that's what I think is really hard is, like, if you're doing the asset management part of this, I think part of the asset management as well, and I'm just kind of to play devil's advocate here, the asset management with Jake Neighbors is, hey, let's find out if he can be a top nine forward for you before they end up getting Alexi Torpchenko back. Because once he's returned to the lineup, you're also going to have to make some roster decisions too. So for me, like the harder decision seems to be, what do we do with Jake Neighbors as opposed to how's the asset management work with Clem Costin? Is that fair? A fair read on it? I, I think, yeah, I, you know what? I think you already know, or at least have an idea of what you're going to get from Jake Neighbors. Now, coming into what could be his first full season or mostly full season into the National Hockey League, you're going to expect some lulls in energy. You're going to expect some mistakes. You're going to expect some games, and we saw it happen with Robert Thomas. We saw it happen with Jordan Cairo under this head coach. You're going to expect some games where maybe you're sitting a couple games in the press box you know, while you're collecting yourself and, and kind of getting your mind back about you. Uh, so, but I do think that when he's out there, you have a little more sense and a little more confidence right now than what you're going to get from him than some of the inconsistency you're wondering that you're getting from Clint Costin. So I, I guess to your point, y- yeah, you you want to see if you definitely have him and, and somebody there in the top nine. But guys, the, the, the one that might dictate that more than anything is Logan Brown. You know, when, when Logan Brown gets back, uh, you know, and, and gets an opportunity to play, if he finishes this camp the way he has started it, I think you've got to take a look at Logan Brown in your top nine. And that oh, th- th- I'm kind of writing him in curbs as a lock. Well, I, yeah, I think so. But what I'm saying is like, if, if, if his play starts to drop, you're saying, okay, do we put another young guy and Jake neighbors in there? But, but to me, that's, that's really the key. And look, if, if you're going to play a Jake neighbors, maybe in a top, maybe in say a third line role, but keep, well, you know, we always say that, but keep in mind how this blues team has been built for the last couple of years. Like there are given nights where I don't know that you could definitely say that's number one, that's number two, and that's number three. Yeah, on a Friday night, the O'Reilly line could be number one. On on Sunday, the the Shen line could be number one, and then Thomas might be in on a Monday in your third and four games. So you know, for me, uh, for me, it just depends on how Jake Neighbors is going to be uh, is going to be used, and if he can go to Springfield and be used in a top line role, getting every minute of power play time and he's getting 18, 21 minutes a game, sometimes that might be better than nine minutes here. You just have to that, – that, that's just the decision that the coaching staff and Doug Armstrong have to make. But I do think – now, here's the other thing that they, they do, guys. They kind of get a feel from around the league. And, yeah, it doesn't mean it's always accurate, but, for example, they kind of get a feel, hey, if we put Clint Costin on waivers, is he likely to be picked up? And I get the sense that that might be the case. If we put this guy on waivers or that guy, was he likely to be picked up? And uh, and sometimes that plays a role in this as well. So it's a it's a little back room behind the scenes work that matters as well. Curbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. Uh, thank you so much for hopping on with us today. We will talk with you again next week as the Blues uh, finish up their preseason action and start to uh, turn Hallelujah. their attention towards the regular season. Yeah, that'll be great. And I think you guys probably saw this already, but uh, the Blues just announced that there's a game time change for uh, for Saturday's game. So instead of being a night game against Chicago, they're going to make it a day game. So it doesn't conflict with the Cardinals playoff game. And then uh, icebreaker for Friday night 
has also been postponed to a later date. So a couple important pieces of news there for Blues fans. Awesome. Hey, appreciate that as always. Curbs, talk with you again next week. Okay, guys. Have a good show. See you guys. That's Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. Hey, speaking of Blues event, 101 ESPN is putting together a kickoff party next Friday out at Copper Fire in Belleville, Illinois. It's our pre-season preview party to celebrate. We're hosting a day-long broadcast at uh, Copper Fire. Me and Alex and Tanner will be out there from 11 to 2. The Fastlane will be there from 2 to 6. Special guests, great food, drinks available for you all day from 11 to 6 o'clock. You'll have a chance to win some signed pucks, signed Ryan O'Reilly jersey, so much more. You can join us out at Copper Fire in Belleville, Illinois. More details available at 101ESPN.com. Before we go to break, and we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind here in just a minute. If you heard a whistle that was taking place during that interview at the end with uh, Chris Kerber, our big boss, John Kiowski, walked into the room. It was his first time seeing me today. And, uh, it was a really enjoyable facial expression that he had. Oh, and then he it had was the first questions. time someone else just take yeah. a, took a look at you. Uh, he walked into the room unannounced, <laughs> whistled, brought out his phone, <laughs> took a picture, and I'm just going to assume that that's going to be a company-wide email very shortly. Either company-wide email or that's going up to corporate. Yep. Uh, this is what we do at Hubbard here in St. Louis. And they've walked by three times now <laughs> um, to laugh at you. Honestly, it's uh, it's impressive the, the looks that you get here in the building. And frankly, T-Bone, uh, great job by us. I'm not sure if I'm going to have a job when we come back. But we'll hit the that's BK and Ferrari Rewind either way here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. (laughs) Let's do it on the rewind. Okay, I'm going to tell you guys something. Yeah, yo, what's up? You looked? Hey, this is a dream only your wish can heart. Did you peek under the dress and see the lineup? Hold on. I'm not doing the lineup game when Jamie gets back today. A dream is a, a dress. wish your heart makes. That's what this was. I was hoping that this happens. Take the bed down. I am not doing this. This is awkward, man. I am not going to have Jamie kick my ass while I am wearing a princess dress in handcuffs. Oh, yeah, because without the princess dress, he couldn't. No, he could. <laughs> I just don't need that image. I don't need other people on the internet making fun of me for getting you know my what? butt whipped by Jamie while I'm handcuffed you know in what? fuzzy handcuffs in a princess dress. I don't I'm, need that. I'm, I'm aiming higher now with my paintball gun later. So in about, what, 15, 20 minutes, people oh, yeah. can go over to the Facebook Live 101 ESPN God, Facebook. Fingers crossed. <laughs> to see me get uh, shot with a paintball gun. Here's the question. Text line 65780. You guys can go ahead and answer this. We'll, we'll listen to some of what you have to say at least. Uh, should I wear the dress while getting shot with a paintball gun? Should I combine the two together? Because I'll, I'll listen. I'll listen to what you guys oh, will have you? to say. Yeah. Okay. Well, my my. What is your suggestion? My suggestion is, yeah, you, you just stand out there as you are right now. Nope. Nope. I'm putting a hoodie on underneath it. Yeah. That seems reasonable. Weak, I don't think so. I don't think sauce. so. I don't think Tanner, so. Tanner, should I wear the dress? Yes. Gotta get text line. Should I wear the dress? And you guys are not saying very nice things about me right now, and I don't appreciate that. I can't even say those things on the air. Uh, by the way, if you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app. Is there anything interesting that you guys are watching from today's game? Anything. Oh, by the way, wow, interesting. Uh, the Padres just placed Mike Clevenger on the IL. 
Oh, well, it's the postseason, and it's usually where Clevenger is. For That's not what teams. you want if you're the Padres. <laughs> He's, he wasn't going to start a game for him, but he could have been an important arm for him. Anyways, is there anything that you guys are going to be watching for in today's game? No, I don't think so. I, I really don't. The only thing I guess while I'll be watching is if we see Jordan Hicks at some point to see how he is. But other than that, no. I, frankly, this game shouldn't even be played. Let's okay. just start. Let's call it a 161. Let's go 161. Ollie says, you know what? Blank this. We're going postseason ready. And then don't worry about it. I, I am curious to know what Jordan Hicks looks like today. That is the number one thing that I'm intrigued by because if he looked really good coming off the IL and this is his only outing before you get to the playoffs, then I'll feel better about them deciding to use him in high leverage situations. Because no matter how he looks today, I think they're going to use him in high leverage situations. But I'll be very curious to know what he looks like and how that dictates their plans on how they want to use their bullpen. I would like to see Newt uh, get to 15 home runs. I just think that's a cool uh, milestone for somebody to get to. That's probably about it. Otherwise, like Jordan Hicks, I'm with you guys. That's the one inning that I'm going to be paying attention to that I think is worthwhile for Cardinals fans. But on the hitting side of things, it's really about that one milestone. And it's not like a big one or anything, but I think it'd be cool if uh, Lars is able to get to 15 home runs. It's pretty much what I got. So don't watch today's game. Tune in whenever you get an oh. alert that uh, should it's going to be Jordan Hicks. You shouldn't be watching it anyway. You should be listening to the fast lane from That's 2 right. to 6 o'clock. Right here on 101 ESPN. Have your phone on the side coming up here in about 15 minutes. You'll be able Facebook to see me life. get shot in the butt with a paintball gun. He's That'll gonna, be fun for you. He's going to scream like this. Ah! I'm really not. Lo- like, this Dude. is whatever. It's embarrassing, but that's my job. <laughs> whatever. It is what it is. is it I'm. Your job? Re- I'm <laughs> Wait, your job is to wear a pretty. That Wait, was not in my that? details. Yeah, I didn't have that in the My job, job every day is to take crap from the two of you for the enjoyment of the audience. That's, that's, that's my that's, role here, and I understand it. I'll play it accordingly. Great job for us. Yeah. Dude, I, I so I I'm test not looking forward so every, to this. So everyone I know is being like, oh, I hope the gun works. I test shot this paintball gun yesterday four times to make sure it works. Okay. The way that that paintball came out and hit the tree. It'll be fine, princess. <laughs> my, this is going to hurt, man. This is going to hurt me and you. If it hurts really bad, could we just do the one? No. No. Because no. I again continue to say we never once agreed we to two. We did. There was never a point we in time where it was. off the air. We said off the air while in this studio. I don't think you were wearing your daily Wednesday dress, but we, we were off the air and we said, I think it should be a paintball for each co-host no, that gets to take didn't. a shot. And you went, okay. And then you lost like nine straight. And now you're backing out. <laughs> Look at it this way. T-Bone I might don't... not be able to hit you, so you might get out on that. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. Tanner's said he... he's aiming for my back. No, that is not <laughs> where you're supposed to aim. I don't know where the thing's going to go, man. Might be God. windy outside. Somebody's going to get it. I don't think that's going to matter for how fast this paintball we, gun we, comes we, out. We may need you to sign a paper. Yeah. No papers needed. I have fine. not signed a waiver form for it's, any of it's this. It's fine. John Which laughed at you know. already in the dress, <laughs> yeah, so he's not great. worried about this. And fast lane's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Here on 101 ESPN. Listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world class instructors, we're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on demand classes from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home-trial. 
Peloton, motivation that moves you.